0: Out there to destroy them right not to study not to bring back i've seen things you people wouldn't believe oh i know this creature of yours and the dragon gets this old it knows nothing but pain
1: scientists are saying the
2: future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted
0: Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial so bed. No words. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was.
3: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast, the crossroads where science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host Nathan Bartlebaugh and we are back for another X-Files roundtable episode and we're actually on season three and honestly this is at least two seasons further than I suspected we'd get so (laughs) I'm super happy to be here but what I want to do is go ahead and go around the table and let everybody introduce themselves and you know we thought it was initially ambitious to have four voices on here talking x-files but we've invited a fifth so we'll get to that in a moment but first let me uh, go ahead and bring in uh victor rodriguez victor do you want to uh introduce yourself
4: yes sir thank you for having me back on i really appreciate it um yeah really uh enjoyed season three of the x-files and uh I am Victor, middle initial H, last name Rodriguez. Uh, I am a part-time writer, part-time artist manager. I manage a composer based in Los Angeles. And um, I write a lot of genre fiction myself, a lot of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. So um, this podcast is perfect (laughs) for me. (laughs) I really... um, Love being on here, and uh, yeah, I just uh, I just put out a, a sword and sorcery fantasy short story in a collection called Savage Realms Monthly, so the um, the May issue is the one I'm in. Uh, check, And I'll have a link for that in the show notes for everybody. Ooh, thank
3: you. Coming to us from the Great Fright North podcast, we have uh, Dave Roy. Dave, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Absolutely. And thanks for having me back again as well. This is so much fun talking about the X Files. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, Dave Roy, as Nathan said, and I've got uh, when my procrastination will allow. I've got a, a uh, podcast called The Great Fright North, where I try to spotlight Canadian films, horror, usually and actors, but but horror from all over the world too. It's like every second episode is full of maple syrup. And I'm just glad to be back. Nice to see everybody again, and glad to welcome our new. Uh, co-host this should be fun can't wait to talk about yeah as Victor said a really really I mean they've both been really good previous but this season tops the other two if if you can believe that (laughs) can you please make full of maple syrup part of your like podcast (laughs) label (laughs) I totally man I I, you know it's actually excellent for you a little teaspoon of maple syrup every day is excellent (laughs) for your health nice and smooth And and, and if you can pour a little more than a teaspoon, well, you know, everybody remembers what Mary Poppins said.
3: (laughs) Also himself, (laughs) like a teaspoon of smooth maple syrup, we have Tommy Wood with us from The Real Talk, one of The uh, Real Talk podcast members. Tommy, how
2: are you today? Hey, Nathan. Really good, man. How are you doing tonight? Glad to be back on. And just excited to get back into season three. You know, we've had a lot of fun the first two seasons, but really this is the season I was most looking forward to because when I was scrolling through the episodes, I was like, man, this is all the episodes I love the most. And so I know we've had a lot of fun in the previous couple episodes. And yeah, I am from Real Talk where we kind of cover movies in general, do newer movies and of course have a lot of interviews also. So thanks so much.
3: Yeah, and Real Talk's an awesome podcast. I'll have the link in the show notes where you can check that one out as well. And then we have our uh, our newest member of the Roundtable, and that's Karen Wagner. Karen, would you like to introduce yourself and anything you want to say about the X-Files?
5: Yes, and I want to say thank you guys so much for having me on. I absolutely loved the first two episodes that you did. I think I listened to the first one twice because I kept waiting for season two to come out and ended up listening to the first season again while I was waiting. Um, I watched the X-Files from the very beginning. I remember seeing the trailer for the pilot episode Uh, on fox and i bought my first vcr uh, so that i could make sure i recorded all the the episodes because it came on friday nights and i think i was like 21 at the time so i wasn't always home on friday night and um so I, i bought my first vcr i loved every single season i even liked the last two seasons that they put out recently and I think what caught me in the beginning, so I had always loved science fiction. My dad was a huge sci fi fan. We watched Star Trek, the original series, when I was growing up, and then Next Generation. Um, and he saw that I was really into the X Files. So he used to, he was a, a Navy pilot, and he was always telling me stories. You know, I have seen UFOs when I was flying, only he doesn't believe that they're from another planet. He just said he couldn't explain what they were. And he would tell me, you know, what a Foo fighter is, right? Like every time he would see something on the X-Files, he would ask me if I knew what that was, or um, you know what an Erlenmeyer flask is because he was also a science teacher after he retired from the military. Um, And with the X-Files, I think, um, I wasn't as big into the mythology episodes I do like them, but those monster of the week ones, those were my favorites um, still are. And that's what kind of caught my eye and and made me start watching. But I think the chemistry between Mulder and Scully was a big part of it too. And um, I love the fact that they really seemed like equals. And I hadn't seen that so much on, I didn't watch a lot of TV before this, but I hadn't seen that very often where, yeah, sometimes Mulder has to rescue her, but lots of times she was out there rescuing him too. And I felt like they weren't spoon feeding things to people. Like they would have these incredibly long monologues that had a lot of big words and stuff. And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm an adult watching a show. Like I thought it was really good. And um, I watched every season. I would be Incredibly happy if they made another season and brought everybody back again. I would still watch it uh, if they made one for next year. But give it an ending. But give it a good ending.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes.
5: Right.
3: Right. I guess something that at least feels, uh, you know, at this point you can have cigarette smoking man wake up and realize it was all a dream, and I'd probably still like it better <laughs> than. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Uh, yes. Thank you so much, Karen, for joining us. We're really excited to have you uh, on here and discussing season three. And like, uh, like Tommy mentioned a minute ago, going back over season three, I it's funny you mentioned that you were taping it on Friday nights because you were typically out. And that was kind of my experience. And I ended up really not completely sort of becoming like X-Files, super fan, watch every single episode when it airs until around season five, because that's the point, I believe, when they transitioned to Sunday nights. And suddenly it was like, oh, I'm, I'm actually here and I can watch it while it's on. And at that moment, that's when I really connected. And I had seen a lot of the episodes here or there in like, syndication before that. But it was a lot of fun a few years back to go back and, and watch the entire series and see how strong it was in season, you know, in particular, all seasons, really. But season three, I think, is where there's a really strong balance between the Monster of the Week episodes, which I agree with you, Karen. They were always my favorites. They're the ones I gravitated towards. I came to appreciate the mythology over the years, particularly in these early seasons when they're really building it up and they're really revealing things, and they are walking that line between is this all uh, government-based actions or is it aliens and and is the truth is somewhere in between finding out who's involved and things like that and we discussed a lot of that i think with season two one thing that we had i think i in editing this uh, season two all four hours of it you know one <laughs> of the things that kept coming back we kept making mention of how uh cinematic the series seemed to be seemed to be developing towards and in that time frame. That would have been 94 into 95 for season 2. You know, the kinds of movies that were still coming to theaters, you still had movies that were relatively low-budget. You know, sometimes X-Files looked better than some of the films that were being released in theaters. Mm-hmm. And I think that only is amplified here as we get into season 3. And we jump in right from a really strong cliffhanger. And, of course, the, the one thing that's different here is you really don't have... you At the very beginning, you have a displaced Mulder and Scully... But that doesn't really last for uh, for very long, and of course, in season two, there were lots of displacements. They were displaced from being agents at the beginning of season two, and then they were displaced from one another for a stretch, uh, you know, early on, partially because of you know trying to account for Jillian uh, Anderson's pregnancy. They were displaced uh, apart from each other. So I think it's really cool to see this season where the show has developed its own identity and is pretty. Uh, you know, confident about what it is. And then also they've got Mulder and Scully together the whole time. So I'm really excited to discuss season three. I think we can kind of jump right into the, the first episode, which is coming off. It really forms what ends up being a three, a three parter because it's the coming off of the the conclusion, which ended with the possibility that Mulder has been, you know, uh, burned to death inside of a train car after a, a pretty creepy uh, realization that all of the bodies in this train car are probably not aliens but human beings who have been experimented on, and so it jumps right from that cliffhanger into, uh, into a season opener that sort of picks up with you know you you've got um you've got kind of uh, is Albert Holstein who's talking about you know uh he he's he's got that monologue at the beginning where he's talking a lot about the balance in between things and of course uh we aren't we're pretty certain that Mulder's still alive but we don't realize that initially and we do get Scully who is kind of back in you know normal everyday action as an agent without Mulder and with the belief that he has died and i think what's interesting here is you know, we saw how Mulder was directly after Scully's abducted in season two. And, of course, there's multiple reasons for that, partially because we know that Samantha was abducted and now Scully is seemingly abducted under, under his watch. But he kind of, you know, he, he goes right into sort of a period of grief that ends up with, you know, he hooks up with vampires and he's just kind of a mess <laughs> there for a little bit. And, you know, he's broken down. And what we see with Scully is interesting is that she's grieving, but she kind of jumps right back into the job, she's trying to sort of hold the line to the point that you even see her attend Mulder's dad's funeral while he's not there. And so I think that was a really interesting aspect of all this. And we see her even sparring a little bit with Skinner, you know, in a way that that's, you know, you know, when she mentions to him, well, you know, forgive me for saying, I think you, you underestimate where you are on the, on the chain of command here, you know, and her interaction, she pushes back a little bit with him and you have her trying to kind of really continue the work and figure out what's going on, and then she ends up getting attacked kind of by the the military in New Mexico on the highway. She gets relieved of being in active duty, and then all these things are happening to her, and then you've got the issue of learning that uh, the metal object in her neck. And I thought it was really interesting how... She discovers that, you know, because they kind of take her off of duty or she's on suspension. She has to go in through the metal detectors and that's when they pick it up. And so she's Scully is just sort of bombarded in this episode in one sense. There's a lot. And then, of course, we do find uh, Mulder's body's discovered. He is alive, but he is sort of teetering on the brink. And then we have this kind of blessing way, you know, this process that this ritual has gone through to try and bring him back from the brink. And that's where it becomes a lot like season two's One Breath, I think, where you have now Mulder is the one who's seeing visions and images of characters we've seen from the past. His father, he sees Deep Throat, and that's very similar to when Scully was seeing images of her dad, of Don Davis. And then we've got Scully dealing with, you know, the, the fallout and trying to figure out what's going on. And so I like all of that. I and again, just like the one breath episode, we have Melissa, who's Scully's uh, sister, coming back in, and we see her interactions with Melissa related to again, you know, science versus faith or or this new age sort of mysticism, and all of that's pretty interesting. We do have the introduction of John Neville as the well manicured man who comes in and kind of warns Scully that she's going to be killed. And he warns her in a very specific way. But then what ends up happening is she dodges this, but it's Melissa who ends up getting shot in her in her place. And then Mulder uh, is sort of revived. And I love that when he's revived, the little boy that's there with the tribe, when he comes back, goes over and hands him the little bag of sunflower seeds. And they can say, you know, you kept asking for these. I I thought that was a perfect little touch in this episode. I it, the episode itself is, I think it's good. It is kind of takes it takes a while to get going back into the mythology, into what's going on. I enjoy a lot of the individual scenes, but I'm not sure if it jumps leaps back into the the storyline as quickly as I would have liked. But once you get to that stand ending with that stand standoff with Skinner in Mulder's apartment, mm-hmm. where they're all three mm-hmm. there, it's like boom, we're off to the races. So. Yeah, I agree
4: 100%. It was uh, th- this was definitely one of the episodes that got me hooked on the show. Uh, you know, I remember at that point I had seen enough of the previous seasons to go, okay, you know, I'm sitting okay. down watching the season premiere of The X-Files and it was it totally delivered and I absolutely agree with you Nathan that that last scene was incredible and I couldn't wait to see the second episode.
3: And anyone else have thoughts on this episode? And we can then we can jump right into paperclip, which is the follow up of the conclusion of that.
2: Uh Nathan, is this, isn't this the episode where like they're out in the desert and it's like really orange?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I yes, was very, like, very, where, very orange. <laughs> yeah. I'm like,
2: where is this at? Where did they build this at?
0: It's
1: it's still in Vancouver, but they, they just <laughs> painted all that to look like uh the red rocks of right. Uh oh, I forget where that is in the States, but phoenix or something i, I can't remember arizona was, somewhere, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah
2: but they do a good job i mean it is kind of amazing if you think about it how like they can transport you to all those different locations while still filming in vancouver because yes. even watching it is like well where did i was even like not sure i still kind of knew it was filmed in vancouver but i was like maybe it wasn't so good job <laughs>
1: It's
3: supposed they, to be in um, Hills, New Mexico. That's oh, the New Mexico. Mm. Okay.
5: I know that they, uh, they flew in or brought in a Navajo sand painter um, for this episode because I guess they got some, a little bit of flack on the Anasazi episode that maybe they had some cultural inaccuracies. So that might be why it looked very much like New Mexico. Like they actually hired people to come in and paint things the right way
1: yeah the the location scouting is is works out great in the production design but the uh i don't know there's still some i would say some inaccuracies with the native culture I don't know about that vague magic they use to bring them back to life I think it's <laughs> probably not real but but it's it's still a really fun episode it's a great opener i, I think the second part is even
5: oh more intense. yes the standoff was so good. oh yeah
3: the
1: opening scene is amazing mm-hmm
3: yeah, so then we, as we go into Paperclip, you pick right back up with that standoff, and and I kind of put this out to everybody else. What did what did you think about how that that scene goes? Because I think the way, yes, the standoff is cool, but how they talk to Skinner, how he talks to them, I do feel like we've been talking about. There's that kind of tipping point where their relationship with him is continually changing, and I think this is the part where it starts to slide far more into the Skinner is on our side, even more than it's ever been, you know, in this moment. Although you're unsure at first.
1: Yeah. I I actually almost felt I thought their relationship was at a point where they were kind of on the same team, but then yeah, this is a bit of a slide back, but by the end of the episode is this isn't the one where he gets shot, is it?
3: No. Not yet. That's that's the next two parter, I think, or the one after Okay.
1: Right. (laughs) I, I may be yeah. actually mixing those together cuz I, I I know that they definitely meld as a team and they tr- like definitely trust each other but I think I'm mixing up the uh the next two parter.
5: This is the one yeah. where he has that awesome speech to uh the smoking man though.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, he, he kind of he doesn't want to be intimidated by him.
5: He finally
1: um, turns so the turns is- the tables on him. Yeah, over the tape, over the tape. Right, right, right.
5: This is where you pucker up and kiss my ass, I think is what he said, or (laughs) kick my ass or something.
4: I think I I verbally shouted when he did that (laughs) and, like, pumped my fist.
3: (laughs) Yes, and that happens, like, you know, you have that happening later in the episode, so this point in the middle where they have the three of them and they're trying to kind of figure it out at that very opening of this episode and it leading into watching him sort of get one over on on the cigarette smoking man I think is where you know you you have that moment like okay he's not quite like a father figure I think I was reading something someone said he's kind of more like their big brother but you know in all kind of uh, not the big brother but a big brother and <laughs> I think I think that kind of works and then of course where the story goes what they start to uncover I think is what makes this episode so much fun is, and and, and and more effective, not just fun, but effective, is it gets into watching Mulder and Scully, who are now kind of back at it, really kind of jump headlong into what's happening with this conspiracy. And we see elements of this conspiracy that really start to get fleshed out. You know, I think... The, the 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 fact that we do understand that Mulder's father was involved or at least tangential in some way to the machinations of of these of these people, the cigarette smoking man, and you know we and, and the the well manicured man who's just come in. It was really cool though, I think seeing um uh, seeing you know, over this series this season, we get to see the the very some various players of the cabal sort of come forward. And become a little bit more prominent. And so John Neville, who I always thought of as Baron Munchausen from the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, although Oh,
1: yeah. oh that's who he is. Yes, yeah. that's
3: who he is. And he was oh, also man. uh who did he play? Was he he was in the holodeck on Star Trek The Next Generation, and I can't remember what what uh who he was. Was he was he Beethoven or was he uh, who Aristotle, he was somebody. He was uh, I remember he was sitting in the holodeck next to like uh, Stephen Hawking and data was there talking to all of them. so uh, yes. but it's fun to see faces now sort of placed with this shadowy cabal beyond just the cigarette smoking man. And we do we kind of, um, we saw him in the last episode. And then when they they kind of realize when they they realize that the Nazi, kind of war criminals are involved in this, that there was a wartime program, Operation Paperclip, that, you know, I'm always hesitant when you involve the Nazis into the storyline. But I think what works here, the way that it helps us get a, you know, tie the evil that these men are doing into, you know, we start to hear some of these characters talk about, well, we were doing it for a necessity. We had this end goal that's important you know the ends justifies the means it's interesting that they end up catching up with all these men victor klemper and when they're talking to you know when they give allow allow them to actually speak and you hear these sort of banal things they're saying to excuse their behavior i thought that was a really strong element because it's it's tying the nazi war criminal thing without sort of just playing them as you know here's your here's your nazis as villains you know what i mean that's such an easy thing to do yeah. but i like that the way they introduced them is to show that these men and their cruelty in the current time frame aren't any different you know who we're aligning aligning ourselves with still matters so what did you guys think about that element kind of tying operation paperclip to the nazis and to that part of historical history
4: awesome yeah that that's real i mean operation paperclip yeah. is real uh, and uh, yeah i mean people get really desperate when they're fighting something like world war 2 like they'll to do anything to, I mean, including us, you know, um, we'll do anything to, to win and, and bring an end to the war. Uh, and, um, one of the, uh, not so highlights of us history was employing a bunch of Nazis in the space program, uh, including, uh, Werner von Braun, who, you know, was very instrumental in the Saturn program. I think the Saturn rockets. Yeah. And, um, Pretty scary, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of interesting philosophical and moral ways you can look at it. It's like, well, you know, he did something that really accelerated mankind, but the basis behind it was desperation of the Nazis to create the V two program, which was dropping bombs on London. So, uh, yeah, I don't really know how to feel about that. Um, but I really loved in this episode how just when they reveal a little bit more about the cigarette smoking man. They immediately uh, put him like in the jaws of this group of Illuminati that are even more powerful than him, and he's he's desperate to to put things right with them, with his bosses, uh, to right. show that it, it just. It's the layer cake, you know, it keeps on going up and nobody knows how high it is. And it's uh, everybody's having trouble, including the cigarette smoking man. So that's, I'm that's so glad good. you
1: pointed that out. That's just, that's the perfect way to put it. That scene. He's just he's losing it. He is scared. And up to this point, you think he's the top shark and you should be scared of him. But that's that's a wonderful scene where he confronts Skinner over his fear of, you know, not having the tape yet.
4: Yeah.
3: What did you guys think about the warehouse sequence here where, you know, it almost has that Raiders of the lost Ark feel where they go in.
1: That's the one with the train tracks. It's all wet and they find all the files. Is this the episode? Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's kind of, it kind of comes out of the, um, the, cause Scully finds out what the chips are actually for. Is that, that's yeah, that's really interesting. It's, it's kind of, this is starting to unravel. It actually poses more questions. But you're starting to get a lot of the information of the the main consp- the alien conspiracy, which maybe is it even totally alien at this point.
2: They do a good job of uh, posing the questions, like you said, and then then it's like, wait, a minute, am I ever going to get any answers? Well, maybe we'll see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> once Chris Carter figures them out and then you're like wait a minute I didn't want the answers actually that's a whole other discussion we'll have <laughs> later on right. but to your your question Nathan around the warehouse yeah that was awesome wasn't the lighting really well done in it I know we've talked about it in the in past episodes but isn't that where it's really like I just remember the lighting so much from that episode oh yeah as they the flick warehouse. on
1: the lights you get to see the enormity of what they're yes. actually in
2: it's so well done, and it, it does really have that Raiders vibe, like you mentioned.
3: And, and you have the little, the little, uh, almost like little little. It, it's perceived that there might be little aliens kind of run by her in the dark there, kind of like yeah. a Is horror that ever, moment.
1: Does that ever come to anything? I, I watched these you episodes know. of the first few a little while ago now.
4: I don't think
3: so. No, <laughs> no, okay. no. It was just like a weird, creepy little moment. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like usually, Played like a darker Xbox? version
2: of uh, you know, like Close Encounters. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Well, usually with the X Files, when you ask, did this ever come of anything? The answer is no.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> ultimately, well, I just couldn't,
1: I, like, I've already mixed up an episode with this, so I couldn't quite right. remember. I, I like i know the scene you're talking <laughs> about. I can totally picture it, but I couldn't well, remember. They are I think sort I, of I'm implied. mixing up the train episode too much.
3: Yeah. Well, and we had the bodies in the train car look like your traditional kind of gray aliens. And mm-hmm. these little things, they, we don't see them entirely. We get the feeling maybe they're like that too. And of course, in the next two-parter, we do get that again, that kind of fake-out involving the potential of the gray aliens. So, I don't oh, know if it's tied in that way. Um, but it could be. What The part I like was when they kind of, when they're looking at the files, they both realize they both have a file in there. You know, that Mulder and Scully are both in this uh, you know, in the files where they're at. And then that scene where you have Mulder go back to ask his mom what's going on, and how, that moment when she basically is like, "Well, you know, we had to choose which child would be abducted." That was crazy. I thought,
1: "Oh yeah." Is that why her sticker is over his name? They, they him and his sister share the same file. I, I thought that so, I, yeah. I couldn't figure out yeah.
3: why that seems to be that's what's implied here she she says that they had to choose a child for oh, for oh the okay process. so
1: yes sorry All, only abductees have been tagged i suppose like with those uh the chip in the neck
3: yeah at this point that's the that's the implication so i i think what's interesting about this is it sets up you know it still doesn't give them a lot of answers it gives them uh a little bit of closure in some areas but it, not in others because again when you think that samantha's just sort of incidentally abducted to realizing that she is part of this and it's been orchestrated in part by your family members which you remember remember how painful it kind of was the scene in season two when Mulder goes back and has to tell his father, it's like, basically he's like, Oh, you found her and you lost her again. You know, when Mm -hmm. they thought they had found Samantha and that kind of coldness of his father towards him in a way, you know, that kind of, uh, that is affected him and is kind of built into his character. And then to learn that his father was explicitly sort of involved in it. That's a pretty huge thing. That's, you know, that's beyond uh, any kind of solution to the issue. So, I think it's interesting that kind of leaves these characters and, and Scully realizing that she's been part of something that she can't even quite entirely fathom that is still a question mark, it leaves them in a place of pretty personal darkness, I feel like, uh, beyond just oh, we need to we need to learn the truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And does anyone have any other thoughts about this, kind of this conclusion to the mythology, kind of where the mythology is left at this point? I think the big thing, of course, is, as we've said, we're learning much more about how powerful this cabal is and how it is tied in. It's not simply working outside of the U.S. government. It has been working in some ways beneath it and with it. And it is tied back. We see it being tied back to real historical elements, which I think gives gives a nice structure to the mythology.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I love the fact that the Illuminati guys were connected to the real world operation paperclip. Um, it's kind of a, it's a good, it's, it's, it's kind of a relief like from a, uh, it's a false <laughs> relief, but it's a relief from, a, you know, an American viewer going, Oh, it was the Illuminati that did that. Yeah. That, that, that
1: makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. The but- trusted government. Right. Yes. Yeah.
3: But well and it's funny because in some ways I was wondering the opposite. Like, wow, that's kind of a ballsy thing in a way to bring this back up and sort of, you know, pose that question. Um But yes, you're right. Like ultimately they sort of get the blame, right? You know, it's not it wasn't just our wasn't our normal government, it was the shadow government that did it.
2: Yes. Yeah,
1: but then that's kind of the part that I always found more scary. I mean, who who's really the real government they're the real government i mean you can elect whoever you want they're just behind the scenes you know you know puppeteering everything doing whatever they want experimenting taking making deals without you know, probably any president's knowledge yep
3: That's true. And that's one of the interesting things, how little it matters. Like, X-Files feels like it's so rarely, while it was obviously up with current events and would reference current events, very rarely ever gave you a sense of who's in the White House right now. You know, none of that. It's kind of unimportant. Yeah, it was irrelevant in some ways.
1: He has his senator friend, but that can be anybody, anytime.
2: It could be now. I mean, distrust in government has only grown since the X Files. Yeah. Like it's more relevant. Than
1: well, it, it went up and down, I think, there for for a, for a, a decade. I mean, yeah, right. Well,
3: and and they addressed that when they come back and they're the the post 2016 X Files that were kind of funny because another question was, does the truth even matter at all? Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Yeah.
3: It was interesting to watch the X-Files have to, to navigate in a world where what is truth and does truth actually matter. Uh, so anyway, I'm not going too far down that road. After we complete the the two-parter, we kind of jump right back into the Monster of the Weeks, which I believe the first one is yours, Tommy, uh, DPO.
2: Yeah, thanks. I mean, what better way? So we had some really, a couple intense mythology episodes and now it's time to get into some monster of the week episodes and what better episode to start out with, with one that was described as this is how they pitched it. It's lightning boy. That's just what they they wanted to call it. And honestly, that is it. That's the episode. I don't know how much more I need to even say about it. It's got, (laughs) uh, it's got Giovanni Ravisi and, Jack Black is your two le- – I mean, that's amazing that they had those two guys in there. And, uh, of course, Jack Black is literally just being Jack Black. I mean, as yeah. always is. And Giovanni Ravisi uh, started out – I thought he had to work on it, but no. He just started out perfecting the creeper stare and just being a perfect <laughs> creep. He, like,
1: he's, yeah. he's really good in this. I mean, he's he's certainly – he's trying. He's throwing it all out there
2: right like he started out with that you know he's always kind of a creep but it's amazing and here's another thing that howard gordon the writer of the episode developed it with the episode's concept as beavis and butthead electrified <laughs> yes
0: yes, yes.
2: <laughs> and you' tell right he's not holding caulfield tell. he's totally beavis and butthead <laughs> right you can tell it because those two guys basically the the plot Is that Giovanni Ravizi can like summon lightning, I guess. He's the butthead, right? Yeah, he's the butthead, exactly. (laughs) And he is just like electrocuting people like that he doesn't like. You got the great opening with the arcade. And then there's just this really weird subplot where he's like trying to date his old Mm. teacher, which is so weird. That is so weird. She obviously does not want anything to do with him. Um, And because, you know, she's got to go to her husband. I mean, she's got a husband. She's got a life. She's a teacher, and this guy's like 16 years old. But anyway, she. So he's like trying to to seduce her with his lightning skills, and then <laughs> Mulder and Scully like are trying to figure out is this real? Where's the lightning coming from? And he finally kind of gets. Uh, I get reprimanded in a prison or a mental asylum of some sort. And, yeah, it's just a really great episode. I know you guys have some mixed feelings on it, so I'm interested to see what, what you guys think. We do? I really like feelings. Who's got okay. the mixed feelings? Nathan, go. Not yeah. me. No. All right, Karen. There we go.
5: No, not me. I loved it. I, I, I love this episode, and I will never hear that filter song, Hey Man, I nice Shot Again,
0: <laughs> without...
5: Yeah. This, it will forever be tied to this episode for me. But no, Giovanni Rabisi is super creepy with his stalking behavior. I thought it was an excellent episode.
1: Yeah, the only, like, I, you know, he, I don't know, mixed feelings. I, I, I never think Jack Black is a great actor. And he, like I said, (laughs) he's just doing Jack Black. And (laughs) Rabisi is definitely young, but he's, like I said, he's, he's trying. He's, he, that, that last scene where he's screaming, like, Man, you can't do a lot of takes of that without wrecking your yeah. throat. He is yeah. just leaving it all out there.
2: He's going all out, right.
1: And and God do I miss arcades. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh-huh.
2: So who uh Victor, Nathan, what'd you all think? Nathan, what was your thoughts on I think you were the one that had the kind of mixed feelings on it, right?
3: Well, I had the mixed feelings when we were going back into the season, like when we were discussing, oh, these are the episodes coming up, because my memory of it was that I just didn't care for it much. And what I realized in retrospect is it wasn't the episode. It's the character. It's the Giovanni Rabisi character. Everything you've said is correct. Like he, he does a perfectly good job of acting it, but he is just such an unlikable, kind of reprehensible oh. sort of, which is totally fine. And upon rewatch, I realize, oh, that does work for the episode. He's just very kind of loathsome, you know.
1: He doesn't. You is. guys ever? Sorry, have you ever seen a Canadian movie from? I think it's from eighty one called The Pit. Yes, yes. It's, yes. it's also about kid. a creepy yeah, that kid little. Didn't have a creepy kid. teddy bear. <laughs> yes, he kind of reminded me of the kid in that. Uh,
3: yes, um, and at first, like his behavior, it was like is you. I, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I couldn't tell if he was supposed to have some deeper issues, but then you kind of get the. The feeling is just sort of this disaffected, not very bright ball of rage, and that's about it. But that ball of rage with the ability to channel lightning—you know—he's got this almost godlike power, and he's using it like a petulant teenager. And that's pretty scary. And I think upon rewatch, that and that image where he's just toasting the cows is crazy. Like, oh yeah. such <laughs> like a—that's an image I think of when I think of the X Files—is him throwing his hands in the air like he's God and just blasting cows mm-hmm. of lightning. like That's what he's using this power for and but to mess they, with the traffic me,
2: lights. Let me push back here real quick. You said that you know he's being a petulant teenager, which he was, but how are you not rooting for the love affair with his teacher? They had a real connection. <laughs>
3: Tommy, we just have different experiences, I guess.
2: <laughs> I guess so, man. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: it was a love story, I that... guess,
3: first and foremost.
4: Oh, yeah. Um no I, I just wanted to say that you know uh Mulder and Scully often encounter local resistance from the uh from law enforcement in whatever town they go to but the sheriff in this one is particularly <laughs> yeah. rude. Yes, yeah. He's almost
3: That's like a, a Buford point. T Justice cut type. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: That's a great point Victor I never thought about that of like they always do run into some type of like resistance with the local like police. Like, why are these FBI agents here?
4: Yeah. Gonna have conflict in every scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: yes.
1: I think this, this one too kind of starts off a, a really good chain of, I don't know, four or five Monster of the Weeks that are <clears throat> different and unique and uh there's some, some really good writing coming up. I, I think the staff must have really been, you know, given a lot of freedom. Right. Uh, Also, because the show is a little because of the time it came out. Sorry to get this out. You know they have to fill 24 episodes in a season, so you get a lot of these high concept, swinging for the fences episodes. Like we'll just try anything. We have we have the time and the uh, the ability to fill it. Yeah, I agree. And this one definitely benefits from I think Rabisi giving a strong
3: performance in it. You have you know. We look at the third episodes of the other seasons. You know, you get to you get to episode three. We were bringing in tombs, and then in season two, we brought in the fluke man. Is mm-hmm. is is this character on that level? I don't think so. But it is still a strong episode. And the thing that struck me rewatching it is how much Mulder and Scully bring to these high concept stories. You know, their interplay in this episode is really strong. And I think this season is where you really get you really the writers kind of group that is gathered in this season a lot of the writers you know Darren Morgan contributes quite a bit in this season of three episodes but then he kind of leaves and but the rest of the writing stable that's put together some of them stay on until the end of the show the kind of really impressive writers room that you had on the show really can like kind of coalesces in this season in season three Sure. Yeah.
2: The I mean I know we talked about this in the first uh, episode we did, but yeah, the writers' room is amazing. I mean Howard Gordon, who wrote this episode, is is a great producer. Glenn Morgan has done some of the best episodes ever, and they don't even have Vince Gilligan yet on staff. I don't believe, or maybe he's just starting this season. He comes
3: towards the end of the season, I think. I
2: think. Gotcha. When think he's right. re-
3: writing, he's credited as full blown writer. Like I think, is it before? I know by Pusher for sure, but is it even before that? Now I think so. pusher
4: is the first one okay. that he he's credited solely with.
3: So yeah, so DPO and again I say my my feelings on it definitely changed upon a rewatch, a uh, strong episode and then we move into episode 4. And Karen, I believe you have episode 4 or is it Dave who has episode I have four?
4: it. Okay.
1: Yeah, episode 4, Clyde Bruckman's final repose. This one, uh, I'm, I'm betting, is probably one of everyone's favorites of the season. I think the guest star, Peter Boyle, he's, he's kind of uh, he's, he's playing it down. He's, he's not uh, chewing any scenery or going off the walls or anything. But I think up to this point, he's my favorite guest star of the series. And he plays them so well. He's, he's quiet. And just he's just a boring insurance salesman with the, the worst superpower ever, being able to tell when you're going to die. He's, there's a sadness to him at the same time. He's really very funny, but uh, like I said, he's not he's not a guest star who's chewing the scenery. He's kind of basically very calm throughout this whole episode, uh, which is, ba- uh, so I guess the, the gist of it is someone is murdering psychics in town. Um, sorry, I didn't write down where this episode takes place. But it's uh, it's a really twisty. It is a serial killer, but it's also very science fictiony because the reason he's killing psychics is because he sees himself as a bit of a psychic, searching for uh, a real psychic to give him answers as to the reasons why he might be committing these crimes, which is a little insane. Which does come out a bit towards the end. Um, and again, this this episode is played so it's it's. Uh, is downplayed the right way to 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 describe it? I'm not sure because whenever Clyde Bruckman is involved, it's it's a super serious episode. But but there are times when it's also very campy. They, they bring in another the, the police bring in another psychic uh, Yappy, <laughs> I think is his name. He he's just he's like a, a stereotype of of a psychic from. He he even has that that typical 90s uh, 900 number, you know. You can call him to get your horoscope and and uh, psychic readings done, but he's uh, he's so so over the top. It, it it just plays great off Clyde Bruckman, and in this one, Scully, of course, is the is the skeptic right up until the end. in, in a really beautiful scene that, geez, almost made me cry. And it's also full of great lines. Like because of his ability, I, I think he's got. Clyde Bruckman, uh, because of his ability, I think he's got quite an interesting perspective on life and his attitudes. You know, he says things like, uh, "Oh, sorry," Mulder asks him if the future is written, then why do anything at all? And he looks at Mulder and says, "Yeah, now you're getting it." Or you know, why? Why does he he can't under? he, He doesn't even care to contemplate why anyone would do the things they do. They just they just do in his life. You know, his speech to to Scully about. Um, she asks, I think she asks him how he's going to die because he starts to describe it. And it's, uh, it's just a beautiful little speech that, and she doesn't believe any of it. He, he really makes her smile almost. uh, But when you, uh, you finally see it come true, boy, it's emotional. Anybody else?
4: Yeah, no, totally agree. One of my favorite episodes of the entire series. Um, Great. Great performances. Uh, Just, I I just, I think that just from a a meta standpoint, like it's um, it's really a commentary on people that are born either into privilege or disprivilege, just kind of shrugging their shoulders and saying, "Well, you know, there's no point in railing against this because that's the destiny that's been laid out for me." You know, my father was a lawyer, and I'm going to be a lawyer working in his law firm, or you know, I was born in the inner city and. I was super disadvantaged and I'm going to commit crimes because it's super hard to get out, you know? Uh, and I, I love the fact that um, Mulder who throughout the series has been questing for the truth is finally teamed up with someone who has all the answers and he's not excited by them. He's depressed uh, by them.
1: He doesn't <laughs> care. Even he, uh, Mulder is so jealous of the, the gifts that he has and Bruckman just, could not give a shit he doesn't want it he thinks it's a useless it's brought him basically nothing but but misery
4: yeah yeah it's a great um i, I think this was written by the same dude that did humbug <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. that makes sense Sarah morgan wrote this one
1: because the when, when the funny lines come they're just subtle but like did you guys catch how he hints to Mulder how he's gonna die <laughs>
5: Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's worse ways to go, but I can't think of a more undignified way than autoerotic asphyxiation and Mulder jumps into the Why would you say frenzy. that to me? Why would you say that?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
5: he references it again
3: later, I think, you know, it's kind of a very <laughs> weird sort of but it's it's it is funny and it you it kind of fits. Like that seems reasonable for Mulder. If the absolutely, it. absolutely.
1: It kind of <laughs> I, I I don't know, the ending it it, it, it the asphyxiation comes up again in the ending, which is a little sad, but and mm. it's it's interesting how it, it builds coincidence on coincidence, or is it? I don't know. But but how the killer ends up finding Clyde is uh, simple and effective as well.
3: Well, and the, yeah, there's just a lot of very. This is probably one of my favorite, if not, you know, it, it I probably on a given day you could make the case it could be my favorite episode. And a lot of it's down to Boyle's performance. I love Boyle anyway. Like I could watch that putting on the Ritz scene from young Frankenstein. Another
1: great (laughs) underrated character actor. He can be super threatening. He's done some movies in the seventies where he's the heavy and, you know, I don't love it, but there's everybody loves Raymond. He can do the comedy.
0: And,
3: And he's got some of that here. That kind of, kind of, uh, you know, almost, uh, like the grump, element that he played a lot on everybody loves Raymond but there's a wistfulness and a melancholy and a sadness to him like you said uh underneath of it Dave that really makes it just work and when he's describing that scene which seems so beautiful you know his portrayal of like what you know his own yeah, dad, we'll,
1: we'll be in bed together
3: yeah right. that scene mm-hmm. what he's describing sounds wonderful and tranquil and then the reality of it is like you said it's it's more heartbreaking than that and yet it's interesting because he does seem to he does seem to change the course of things a couple of times. You know, even though he has seen things, you know, does he? Uh, he tells Mulder about how he's going to be stalked by the killer, and he is it. Is he foreseeing Mulder's death, or is he just foreseeing events? Is he intervening? Is he changing things? You know, by doing that, while at the same time making these, all these comments about autoerotic asphyxiation. Is that <laughs> is that a joke? It, the way he talks about it doesn't seem like it is. Does he see branching pathways? And then you know, uh, the killer says, "Oh, this is not the way it's supposed to happen." You know, the the car. Yeah, that was leadership. an interesting line.
1: And, uh-huh.
3: and, so you and actually, you
1: mentioned you mentioned Mulder. Yeah, if if Bruckman didn't say anything would he have got his arm up in time to stop the knife
3: and i think that that's the thing it's you get this idea does he does he kind of uh you know he seems like maybe he does make a sacrifice there you know the bruckman is maybe setting everything back in balance like that thought occurred to me while watching it is that what's happening here um but it's just very thoughtful yet at the same time this isn't like a heady episode like it's funny it's legitimately funny in a lot of places and it's g- it genuinely sort of um kind of just fun in a oh I didn't see that coming sort of way like every time Clyde makes some kind of weird prediction you see how it's going to play out and there's that element of seeing Morgan when he worked on Humbug I think why his comedy episodes work I wrote this in the notes on one of the episodes he just he he does build a little bit of sadness a little bit of like human uh frailty into his story so it's not just some sort of comic laugh fest and we're not laughing at these people that they're real whole characters in a sense
1: no i find the other than the, the like the cops and yappy are on purpose campy yes but the but bruckman and even the uh, the killer they, they sit down on the bed and have a little chat it's it's almost funny it's so subtle just just light you know humor and then the actors really Really bring it out and make it work even more.
2: Yeah, the only thing I was going to say, you guys covered it really well. Was that I think in most lists, you know, you, you always see best episode lists. I think this is usually rated number one <laughs> overall. Um, which I can see that because it does kind of capture the perfect tone of the X Files. It's 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 kind of one of the most accessible um, episodes for somebody that's new to the X Files to come Good in. Good point understanding exactly what it does great, why it's so good. And, you know, it's not dark, it's funny, it's light, but it's dramatic, it's sad. Great character actor uh, episode. So, yeah, it's it's really kind of one of the perfect episodes, of course, written by the great Darren Morgan once again.
5: Did y'all notice that when he has the scene where he is re- reading his lottery numbers that every single one of his picks was like one number off from the winning oh, lottery yeah. number. No. <laughs> yes. I was like, was this like- is his whole life right here is just off by, by one little bit. And did you notice the murdered palm reader who played her? No. So it's uh, Mrs. Peacock. Oh, uh, what? Really? Clue? No. it's, cool. it's, no, 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 no. Sorry, from home. It's um, Miss, uh, her name is uh, Karen Connival, and she played Mrs. Peacock in the home episode. Oh, no, in season I, didn't, four. I
2: didn't notice that. Wow,
5: no. I had to bring her back. She was that good. Yes, right. she was good. She looks I didn't totally different. I did recognize her not missing <laughs>
2: limbs and strapped to a cart right. under a bed.
5: She's got all her teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Well yeah, so we have Clive Bruckman's Final Repose, which is episode four, and then we get to episode five, which is the list. And Tommy, you got your episodes out right at the start of the start of the oh, man.
2: show here. Within the first hour. So Dang, Nathan's like, uh, let's get Tommy off this show fast. Get him in and get him out. <laughs> you pick, uh, you picked the episodes, man. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, this is uh you're right. That is funny. I didn't even think about that. But actually, when I was watching this episode Dave, you said exactly what I was thinking, which was this beginning to season three is just a killer lineup. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You start with the mythology, two great episodes, and then the, the Monster of the week episodes are just fantastic.
1: Like, right uh, up until the next two-parter, it's all, and including, like, actually, we've said it before. No, this season is just great. <laughs> I guess we can just leave it at that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Which,
2: right, when we say it's the best season, or at least I think it's the best season, This is why. Like, there's really not a bad episode in it. And so the list is the fifth episode of the third season, of course, written and directed by Chris Carter. And in this one, it basically takes place on death row, where an inmate is brought to the electric chair. And before he is executed, his name is Nietzsche, proclaims that he will be reincarnated and avenge himself against five men who tormented him in prison. And so the rest of the episode is... Muller and Scully are coming to this prison because people start dying and you're not exactly sure how, and they're not sure if like guards are killing them or what's going on. But then by the end of the episode, you realize that he really is, Nietzsche really has come back and he is avenging all of the people who tormented him in prison. And th- I think this is a really interesting episode for a couple of reasons. First, it's... it. It kind of shines a light on prisons and criminal justice and just what happens in prison in an interesting way. You know, it's still a fantastical episode. It still covers all that. But then it also highlights things that actually do happen in prison where people are mistreated. Um, You know, guards can mistreat people and they show that. The warden mistreating people. And so I think Chris Carter, that's kind of where, what he was trying to shine a light on. But of course he does it in the most X-Files way possible. And uh, the episode, of course, once again, coming off of the last episode with the pr- great Peter Boyle, we have some really good guest stars in this episode too. Mm-hmm. So we have Bokeem Woodbine, who is one of the inmates. And then of course the great JT Walsh as the warden. Um, and w- J.T. Walsh, of course, for anybody who loves early 90s cinema, he was you know, popping up in all of the great movies in the early 90s and really was one of the best character actors, honestly, around until he died. You know, Honestly, way too young. It's probably in the late 90s, I would say. And once again, I, re- I just really like this episode. First, it's really dark. I forgot when I rewatched it how like kind of just dark and it's not depressing, but just like the whole feel of it. The prison atmosphere, all of that creates like a dark atmosphere, I think. And then I, um, I love how, of course, you realize this guy really is coming back. He's killing everybody. Um, and there's nothing really Mulder and Scully can do about it. You know, the, the episode kind of goes unsolved like a lot of them do. Um, his, you know, it kind of, the, the guy who's coming back and killing everybody, his wife, ends up having to go to prison. It's kind of a tragedy in a lot of ways. And then the final thing I'll say is that this is really cool that they actually built the prison set. Cause I was wondering that I was like, is that a real prison they're at? No, they actually built that prison set, which actually was a lot of work by the production department, of course. And it looks really fantastic. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on the list or any feedback from what I just said about it.
4: Um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I totally agree uh, with what you just said. I, the the lighting in particular is really striking inside the prison. The way it it kind of shines through the bars and in a lot of the scenes, it's uh, you know contributes to the feel of claustrophobia. And um, I looked him up just because I, I I thought it was remarkable. And John S. Bartley was the cinematographer. He's the <laughs> he did Eight Legged Freaks, which. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh wow, Yeah, <laughs> I, don't,
4: I don't think of for uh, lighting <laughs> particularly, but uh, right. yeah, um, that's a fun movie but, uh, though. But it worked, and yeah, the uh, only other thing I wanted to say was yeah, Bokeem Woodbine. If that sounds familiar to some of you out there, um, he played massive genius on The Sopranos, yes. <laughs> which is yeah. an awesome
2: character. He was in the new Fargo season, and just to build off that real quick, Victor is that you know one thing that I think Chris Carter likes to do with his episodes like the ones he writes or directs he likes to like to put in subtle commentary on just different things that interest him whether it's like socio-political economic whatever it may be like he likes to just subtly put them in there you can digest them if you want you can take them if you want or you can just go with what it's it's an x-files episode still
5: I think too, Ken Foree was in this episode. Yeah, who
2: that's who I, yeah. so
5: I, that was, yeah, he's, um, I think he was in the original, uh, Dawn of the Dead, but he was in, he's in like every Rob Zombie movie as well.
4: Oh yeah. From Beyond. He was in it. From Beyond. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And the new Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Is right. he in the new Maybe one? He yeah. He's, he's on TV in, uh, when they, when they're in the mall. Oh, okay. oh that's he, right. The preacher. He's, he's the preacher. Yeah.
0: Huh.
1: I, I don't, I'm uh, I'm going to disagree with you, Tommy. I did find this episode very depressing and angering, and <laughs> all because of the warden and the, it's you know, the prison system. Like, oh my God, I never ever want to be stuck in jail. Like,
0: yeah, what a helpless,
1: wrong. hopeless situation. Sometimes that, you know, isn't always your fault.
0: It is. I mean, dark.
1: death row probably, but I'm sure prison is full of a lot of young people who made. You know, stupid decisions based on poverty, and yeah, this. Oh my God, so frustrating. The warden, Jesus, I hate him.
5: Yeah, the, that whole episode is dark in every way. Visually, it's sad. It's it's a very dark episode, yeah. but still really good.
2: Still, really, it is one of the darkest episodes I think they've done, and it ends dark. Like it ends literally on Gt Gt Walsh just dying like a car crash. But it's just it's really good. It's just one well, of those episodes you just you you need to be in the mood for because it is so dark. And so like, you've got to get into that world.
3: And season three really starts to delve into the darkness. And I I think the darkness is what kind of does help the episode, because if you were just describe it on paper, it's not, it doesn't really distinguish itself with a very, you know, with a plot that's greatly different than things we've seen before. You know, there are elements of this plot that are similar Mm -hmm. to like sleepless from last season and things like that. And yet it is all about, like, the tone, the cinematography, like uh, we've been talking about. And it's all those pieces together. And even the how Mulder and Scully kind of fit into the story, even though they're a little bit removed from it, I think they allow the story to come front and center. I think there's all the things that make it strong, even though otherwise you're talking about on paper, it sounds kind of unremarkable, you know?
2: Right. And also another thing that... I think the X-Files did this a lot, honestly, and it, I, it never bothered me. But when you like talk about episodes, you're like, oh yeah, they did do this. Is like this episode, you, you can kind of tell they took the kernel of the ideas like reincarnation. That's kind of the, the kernel of the idea. And then like, they don't really do much with it. Yeah, he's coming back, but they don't really barely explain it or they can't really solve it. or It's really just there to serve the purpose of the plot. And to give you like that fantastical twist. But it's it's kinda like when you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, they didn't really do a whole lot with that reincarnation plot. Other than he would come back, but we
5: don't really know how.
1: Is it reincarnation or a straight ghost?
5: They called it transmigration of the soul, which they right. use, I think, later in another episode. I'm like, once again, Smiles using big words.
0: <laughs> they
3: keep yeah, right. talking about reincarnation, though, kind of, you know, Scully yeah. makes references to it, which, which may show she's just too, like, you know, she's skeptical of it to the point she's barely bothering to pay attention to what exactly Mulder is proposing. Going Mulder's on. all about it. He's <laughs> like, yes, definitely, I'm all for this.
2: Anything. I agree.
3: Yeah, and so we move from that episode, episode five, The List, which is the only episode, I believe, that Chris Carter actually directs this season, and I don't think he comes back to direct anything until season five, although when he does, it's it's a doozy, So uh, with the pro- postmodern Prometheus in season five.
1: Oh, oh he directed man. that?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think awesome. that was him trying to see if he could go Darren Morgan on everybody, and he kind of does, but <laughs> it's still a couple seasons away. Yeah. <laughs> So, episode six is not one anybody chose. So, I'll read the synopsis and let me make any uh, comments we want to make on it. It's called Too Shy. The director is David Nutter. It's written by Jeffrey Vlaming. Uh, This aired in November 3rd, 1995. Uh, The synopsis is Meeting insecure women through an online service. A serial killer seduces his prey with the right words. However, Mulder and Scully determine these killings are far from ordinary by the presence of a strange substance coating the victims a substance which seems to digest the fatty acids in flesh i don't really have a lot to say about this except ugh. like this is where you really start to get into the yes the gross x-files where it's almost gross for the sake of gross i think you know
1: yeah i i didn't love the actor who played the villain in this one i know i just said every episode this year is great but they're This is one of the ones I didn't think this was one of the strongest ones. So that's it. it, it's sad, but that's about all I got on that one.
5: It made me gag several times, like not since the host have I been so grossed out by one of their episodes. (laughs) And I saw somewhere online where they were comparing him to, to Donnie faster. And I was like, no, like, you know, as gross as this guy is, he's he's killing people out of this biological need to eat the fat or whatever, but Donnie faster, he was just doing what he was doing because he liked it. So I don't consider them like the same thing. And I just thought, oh, these women are so dumb. I think Law and Order SVU should have been on TV at this point so that <laughs> they, they would not have fallen for this guy. <laughs>
4: Yeah, that and actually, uh, Karen, that's probably the best one of the best things that could be said about this is that it's uh, a cautionary tale. Like, you know, if you're watching it and you're dating, it's like, oh yeah, those are warning signs. (laughs) I need to pay attention to those.
5: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The X Files has several of those this season. Yeah, Uh yeah. And the cop was cracking me up too with the. I'm not being sexist. I'm just being Uh honest. (laughs) I'm like, Uh, okay. yeah you're being I, honest about being sexist
1: yeah, if you generally if you start your sentence sentence with i'm not being racist or i'm not being sexist <laughs> you're probably being racist or sexist
5: yeah
2: i kind of like this episode just because the dating aspect of it was like wow this is like so different than what dating is like now like online and through <laughs> apps <laughs> It's like this is just crazy. I can't even wrap my head around it. So I, I was like, just fascinated. It was just like an artifact from the past. It's that
3: like, weird nostalgia where you're like, remember this crazy time? Wow.
2: Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> but you don't really don't miss know it's what it's like now, though.
0: Yeah. Yes. But but the episode
2: was was very strange. I don't I don't know where they got that idea about the fle- acid fatty flesh stuff.
3: They were just sort of like let's make <laughs> let's mix Fluke Man with with uh, Tombs and we'll throw a little bit of this in there and it yeah it doesn't uh, the monster by necessity of its urges like it which I guess you know we talked about faster Fister, he kind of has these urges and these things going on but yeah I agree Karen they're not really in the same uh, in the same ballpark I think and certainly not an execution or you know, how well the monsters played. So to me it was a, you know, I remember this is what I remember seeing around the time it came out and thinking, yeah, well that's gross. And then the next time I saw it I thought, yeah, that's gross. And basically <laughs> I'm still at the point where my overall feeling is, yeah, that's gross. It's gross.
4: <laughs> it's it's a I mean it's a vampire narrative, right? Uh more or less. Yeah, a little slushier than usual, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um that like around ninety-five there were a few really unusual vampire films being made. Uh yes. and I think that's probably what started this. We have the the addiction and uh Yeah uh, That was
3: good. Yeah. So then we move on to episode seven, which is the walk, which again is not an episode anyone here um, chose, But uh, again, we'll set it up and we can talk about it. It's directed by Rob Bowman, who has quite a few episodes this season and is definitely, you know, he seems to be coming kind of the uh, MVP of The X Files. We talked about, you know, the first season, he directed the one episode I don't think any of us liked. And then the second season, he did several, you know, including. The, the episode where Tony Todd was sort of projecting himself into people's minds, which mm. I think was very well-directed and several well-directed episodes. So this one's The Walk. It's directed by Rob Bowman. It's written by John shibben who comes in. This is his first episode that he's written. And he goes on to kind of stay with the show all the way until it ends. And the synopsis here is another suicide attempt by a patient in a military hospital, interest Mulder, with the talk of a phantom soldier, which has prevented the man's death. The general in charge is at first opposed to the FBI's involvement until the phantom soldier begins haunting him. But when the primary suspect is a quadruple amputee, they are met with ridicule. I I have kind of mixed feelings on this episode. I do like it. I think it's overall pretty good. It almost feels like a weird inversion of the episode from season two. I think, Dave, you might have covered it where we dealt with so there was a potential like supernatural rape going on in like in, in an elder care home.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. I remember the episode you're talking about. And there's kind yeah, of that. I guess same this does el- kind of seem like that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It, 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 although it removes some of the more unsavory elements of that episode, although you still have some pretty dark stuff happening here oh, where you've got this- uh,
1: the first, the first guy who, who puts himself in the bath. That's, that's intense. intense.
3: Yes, yes. And then, like, when we when we get to this point where this phantom is sort of popping up and terrorizing families, and there's a scene in a sandbox, that's pretty intense, too. And you, particularly where that scene ends, where you have a child death sort of occurring in the episode. And then to have it turned on its head, and then we are introduced to this amputee who's very bitter about what's happened to him. I think the second half of the story almost works a little bit better because we do get it kind of dovetailing with real events and with a real sort of social, you know, anger or feeling of injustice. I don't know if it completely works for me. I was impressed with some of the special effects, though, that were employed here. They don't all look amazing, but particularly with the amputee stuff, I thought for their budget, they did a pretty good job. Like, it looks I think great. it's a really well directed episode.
1: Yeah, especially. Especially Ian Tracy, he plays the amputee. And whenever you see him, you know that something was filmed in Vancouver. He's a huge Vancouver actor, but uh, he's really good in this. He was like he's really projecting that anger. I totally believe it, and he's he's kind of scary. Um I, I think it, between the the first guy in the bath and uh, and seeing him, you know, railing at the world without limbs, uh, I don't know. It just I think it's the images that it leaves in my mind after this episode was done that that maybe uh, affect me more than the episode itself. But it's 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 kind of creepy, lingering feeling that that stays with me. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs up for me. But it's definitely the acting and the the special effects. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, would
3: anyone else's thoughts on this
5: one on the walk? Same thing for me. This wasn't one of my favorite episodes. But I thought the acting was really good, and I thought the special effects were good, especially when you consider when this aired.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's I think what struck me most about it.
1: Like, when did when did Forrest Gump come out? Maybe two years before this, nineteen ninety four. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, then I yeah I thought after I I was thinking. But you're figuring the and budget about, on Forrest Gump? Was yeah, like nine times. <laughs> yeah,
3: millions, right? Okay, and then so uh, we move on to episode eight, which is an episode I chose. It's Oubliette, directed by Kim Manners, written by Charles Grant Craig, who literally this is the only episode that he wrote. Um, and honestly, I think it's a really good one. The, uh, but it certainly continues that uh, the, the strong nature of the episodes, but also the dark nature of the episodes. So the synopsis here, when a young teenage girl is kidnapped from her home, a fast food worker, miles away, collapses on the job, apparently experiencing exactly what the child was feeling. When Mulder learns that the woman was kidnapped and held hostage for years as a child, he begins to believe that she may be the key to help find the missing girl. And man, now this is an episode we had talked last time that as you, there's three or four episodes that sort of seem like they are prepping the road for Millennium, which is the even darker show that Chris Carter goes on to kind of produce and it begins neck the year right directly after this so this is around November of thereabouts of 1995 uh, I guess come November of 1996 uh, or the end of October there I'm not quite sure when that's when Millennium is actually airing so uh, it begins to air, and that shows excessively dark and also not uh, not as often, while it's supernatural, it doesn't quite go into the paranormal in regards to aliens and things like that as much. So it deals a lot more with human evil, and that's kind of what you get in this episode, uh, Oubliette, although I think that there's this episode, there's an episode coming up called Revelations, there's an episode called Grotesque, those three really seem to be forming the framework from which millennium springs they give carter a pretty clear template with which to work with you know these the three types of episodes that are here kind of become what uh, what millennium evolves into but this mm-hmm. the way that this this and this was kind of influenced by a real case where a young a girl was kind of uh, abducted in the midst of other children, you know that she wasn't alone when she was taken. So it's kind of drawing from from relatively recent real world events at the point that this is filmed. And of course, uh, you guys probably noticed that Jewel State, who goes on to be uh, Kaylee in Firefly, is the young girl Amy, who's a who's a, who's snatched. And I know that there was a whole issue of the fact that I think she's really like thirteen years old, you know, mm-hmm. at the time she's playing this. But you know, they're oh, we're trying to make her look older. And so there is a kind of darkness and unsavoriness that comes in when you have this character who comes in and grabs her. That seems very dark. And then when we bring Mulder in, almost immediately you start to have that the ghost in a sense of Samantha Mulder, not the physical ghost, obviously uh, the shadow of her abduction is all over this episode. And this becomes a very personal case for Mulder. It's very clear right off the bat. that That's how it is. And Lucy householder is Tracy Ellis's character. She's the, she's that fast food worker who suddenly has this connection and it's a physical empath, empathic connection to the point that, you know, she's experiencing things like, you know, bleeding and yet, these actions are happening to the woman that's been abducted because she was previously abducted by the same killer. And this kind of goes back. There was an episode in season two that was also strong, I thought called Aubrey uh, that had similar elements of this. Chris Carter himself pulls on it when he does the second X Files movie. The, I want to believe I won't talk a lot about that here, but Billy Connolly in that film plays a priest that is having similar, empathic connections and so I think it really works here because you have a character that suffered an abuse at the hands of this of this killer this person that abducted her and she is trying to do what she can to sort of mend the brokenness that's occurred to her Mulder's doing the same thing in relation to what happened to him with Samantha. And there's some really good dialogue. There's a line of dialogue that apparently wasn't in the script uh, that Duchovny himself said, you know what, I think we should add this in. Scully asked Mulder if he's, you know, you do you ever thought about the fact are you too close to this because of Samantha? And he says, you don't think I've thought of that? I have. Not everything I do say, think, and feel goes back to my sister. You of all people should realize that sometimes motivations for behavior can be more complex and mysterious than tracing them back to one single childhood experience. I think what's kind of interesting there is, yeah, he expresses that, and yet there are a lot of previous X Files episodes that seem to spring directly from Mulder being influenced by his sister's abduction. And yet they deal with it in a more complex way. Cause I think what they deal with are the emotions and what they have, who they've crafted Mulder into being this episode. And there's a few others throughout the season. I think we get a clear picture of who he is outside of the search for the aliens. And we really get that to me. Anyway, I got that pretty strongly in this episode, it goes some very dark places. There was a lot of darkness and tension to it, I think. I don't think Ellis's performance as Lucy was all that strong, but I thought Duchovny was really good. I thought he kind of balanced it all out that way. And I did appreciate that they went really dark and they still allowed this certain sentiment of hope in there. Her ultimate sacrifice isn't really in vain. Neither is Mulder's search for the truth. And the Scully-Mulder partnership, that, that was the only thing that kind of bugged me a little bit. It seems like I like that they're doing actual work here. Like, Lucy is having these connections, but they have to do the detective work to find Amy. And they give Amy some a little bit of agency, a little bit of character development, enough that we feel for her. She's stronger, I think, in the episode than than Lucy is in terms of performance. But Scully is, you know, they show that they can still be a partnership, that they can still work, despite the fact that when they're coming to these completely... Uh, dissonant places where they're not on the same page but she seems a little bit forceful here i think in her reticence to the point i'm like come on can't you can't you get on the page just a little bit and particularly <laughs> when we look at revelations a few few episodes later her kind of insistence upon being at odds with molder i don't know i felt that that didn't quite ring true for scully that's the one part where i felt like there are certain episodes where i feel like they write some people write Mulder stronger and write Scully stronger. I don't. I didn't really feel that some of the things that Scully does in this episode felt particularly like her character. But that was that's very minor. All, ultimately, I thought it was really good, and I think that it really uh, it really developed Mulder's behavior beyond just uh, Samantha as a MacGuffin.
4: Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. I, I didn't really think that deeply into the. I, I liked this episode a lot, but I didn't think that deeply into it. I totally agree with what you said. Yeah,
2: Nathan, that's that's so good. I, anything I would say would just sound uh, moronic.
0: Yeah, I
5: like to "dino," and but Mulder made me cry at the end of this episode when he's so upset when she when, when she, she, she dies. I got a couple tears.
1: Well, the, it, absolutely, totally. The, yeah. the whole situation is super sad. And uh, piggybacking on something you just said, Nathan, the Mulder is so sympathetic and understanding. I, I found the way that they treat the first victim is it Lucy, the older uh, character? Yes, yeah. The she is just treated so poorly by the police, the FBI, and Scully. I, I thought, especially as a woman, wouldn't mm-hmm. may, maybe because she's a doctor? I don't know, but shouldn't Scully have been a lot more sympathetic? They, they treat her instantly like she's a suspect. I, I it was just very upsetting. I thought, uh, and again, a really good episode. Part of why I like it so much is because it made me feel so so many emotions. And the the final yeah, when you know, the final scene with her and Mulder is is super sad. That she you know I don't know that she meant to sacrifice herself, but she she overcomes all her traumas to help the the younger girl finally and. It's it's uh, it's beautiful and sad. Yeah.
3: There's a sense too. I think she realizes that Amy hasn't gone through the same all the same brokenness that she had. Like she hasn't been completely corrupted by this yet. She's going to be traumatized, but she can still maybe save her from that extent. And so, right. uh, you know, it, it's kind of like Mulder and Scully. Well, we, you know, who can we save? What can we attempt to do? And as the series goes on, it's like we're we're going to do what little or or what we can in this small microcosm we exist in against these vast forces. I think it's interesting this episode does go back and deal with the history of things that happened to us and the effect it has, because we're seeing that happen in a microcosm in this season. Look at the the historical wounds that have been caused by the choices that this cabal and this nation have made under the you know, kind of in the shadows that's being played out on a microcosm here. I also like that we finally have this unsympathetic villain you know, he just needs to get a bullet and that's kind of what he gets. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. You know, there is a they, sense they actually of, do I, get to solve this crime. It's great. Yes,
2: yes, yeah. And I was just gonna say, add on. I, I didn't remember this episode, but when I rewatched, it, I actually liked it quite a bit. I thought it was really well done, really well acted, and I liked the aspect of the two, you know, personas flipping back and forth between each other. And you are right, Nathan. This is literally a millennium episode. It's like. Now that you said that, it's like this was the template, like you said.
3: Yeah, there are about three here, and it's like they said, here's the three kinds of episodes Millennium's going to have, and this is what we're going to run them here. Yeah. Okay, and so yeah, like there's that's eight episodes, and all of them, you know, there's not a, in my opinion, there's not a bad one among them. Um, there are some that are, you know, a little weaker than others, but they're, you know. And, and the thing is, and we haven't gone into all that detail about some of this, but the through line of the character dynamics between Mulder and Scully, once in a while you'll get a moment that doesn't always ring true, but it's very, feels tightly knit to me leading up into what we're about to talk about, which is a two part, uh, mythology back to the mythology. Uh, and, uh, Victor, do you want to take this one
4: away? Episode nine? Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, Nisei uh is uh, first of all the the title of the episode is a um, it's a Japanese word um, referring to a second generation, uh, like a, a a child that is born outside of Japan um, by Japanese parents, and that comes from um, you know the the numbers, like in Japanese, uh, ichi is one and ni is two, so it's second the second one uh, essentially. Um, but, uh, the episode, the cold open, if memory serves is, uh, an alien autopsy tape because, um, these Japanese dudes break into a train and they're videotaping live, um, this, uh, autopsy and in the midst of it, some, uh, some guys in black, uh, body armor break in and start shooting the place up. And uh, so Mulder has gotten a hold of this tape and he's watching it and showing it to Scully, I, I believe <laughs> he's going, Hey, look at this. <laughs> um, and that's when the mystery begins. Uh, and uh, it's got all kinds of really cool stuff. It's, it's got a, a you know, big action sequence on a train, uh, which is really cool because you hardly ever see that in modern shows these days. Cause like, I guess trains are mostly forgotten in the wake of, planes nowadays right. but it's it's neat because yeah like so many classic movies were set like mysteries and thrillers set on trains like one of my favorite hitchcock movies strangers on a train um and uh highly recommend that but um, i was anyways, hoping you said the lady vanishes but yeah go ahead sorry like, yeah that's good that's great too um but uh but yeah uh, those have nothing to do with this episode uh <laughs> i just i just think there's the, a train involved that's good enough yeah, the train. Um, it, so it all comes to, down to um, Mulder having to get on that train and find out what's in there. Um, and uh, there's a pretty wild scene where uh, David Duchovny. I I read that he did his own stunt on this. Jumps on oh the top gosh. of the train, and uh, I was just like, What? How did they do that? How did they let that happen. Like, what if uh, what if he fell? Like, what are they gonna do? Um, i did
5: read that in the book that i have too that he did that stunt so it must be true <laughs> that's awesome. wild
4: and you know i also like harkening back to i think season two like i think he did that stunt on top of the the a gondola in in that episode where he's going to rescue
2: scully from it's becoming
3: uh, like a tom oh, cruise really? he's like uh, how yeah. can we top ourselves yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, he's, he's the it. tom
2: cruise of tv of the 90s <laughs>
3: Well, you know, his stunt oh, yeah. double was the Astounding Yappy, so maybe, you know. Like <laughs> uh, right?
4: Awesome. I can't wait to look and see the Le Yappy in there. Uh, doing <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Are you serious about that? I did yeah, know yeah. That.
4: He was one of his stand-ins.
3: I don't know if he was the stunt oh. double, but he was the stand-in, <laughs> awesome. and then they kind of hired him to be the, <laughs> the Astounding Yappy. Well, he pops they up in another house. episode,
1: too
0: yeah it's like a, yes, a, just a, just
1: a, i can't uh, i can't even rem- i will never remember which one it is but like he's just a tiny character in another episode
3: he's probably just sitting over at the break table and they're like come on in
1: <laughs> yeah yeah we need one more extra get over here yeah
4: <laughs> yeah well um yeah uh that's uh that's my sort of pseudo summary of the episode but um do you uh I really liked it. I thought it was a good mythology episode. Um, I like Karen. I I prefer the monster of the week episodes, but I think um, going back and rewatching the series from the beginning so far, all the mythology episodes have been super strong and I can see why people really like that through line in the show. And this episode is no exception. And this one sort of
3: ends right there when he does it, like it ends with that jump on the train, but the season, I kind of, the series, excuse me, the scene I kind of loved was the one that happens right before it, where basically X shows up with Scully and makes her call Mulder. And it's the juxtaposition. It's the way that scene is shot, where she's in the foreground and he is. You just see X in the background. He can almost just be a cutout of X, right? Standing there. And they've got the eyes highlighted, you know, with the, the light on them. <laughs> and he's just staring with that, like, don't f around mouth. Like, and he's just staring. It's like a stern mother making the the kid called the teacher and apologized for the gummy put on her chair or something, you know, he's just like, (laughs) and he he doesn't flinch. He just stares. And every once in a while, Scully will turn around and look at him. And he's just there in the background.
4: Yeah. Yeah. He's
5: great. (laughs) I like in the beginning too, where uh, he's showing her the video for the first time and, through line joke of Mulder and his Porn. <laughs> what he normally yes. watches and she says that's not your normal form of entertainment
1: you stole that right out of my mouth that's a hilarious opening I love how they keep bringing it up too
3: well and as you go through the seasons it's almost like they build this anticipation anytime he's around a VCR you
1: know I'm like, <laughs> <he's laughs> gonna put a video in if, if, it, if it took place today he'd always be you know fearful of someone finding his browser history or something <laughs> <laughs> well, I get the feeling he just doesn't. Or he care. wouldn't care, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I like no. it in this one too, this is the I think it's the episode of the two parter where Scully runs into the uh the support group for abductees. She kinda happens yes, upon yes, the, that's the ladies who recognize. It. Oh that's her. right. Yeah, that's that she's so freaked out. It's it's a really good oh, yeah. part. Yeah, that's cool.
3: And then we and, get to And episode. Victor,
1: I didn't notice that you you actually blew my mind you're right you hardly get things set on trains because it's 2021 but i'm a sucker for yeah anything set on a train i just love i i still yearly watch terror train i know it's not a good slasher but
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, anything set i like on a train,
3: it I <laughs> the bad. look
1: of the killer is so
3: awesome in that one well it's <laughs> so awesome and it's not awesome this <laughs>
1: no exactly yes it's it's uh it's a c-grade slasher but hey it's set on a train and it's got magic so it's up my alley
3: yeah oh, that's right. have murder on the orient
4: express yeah and well that's end a, a classic
3: it's a great one yeah and yes.
0: and david
4: oh, yeah, copperfield I just to terror say, train. oh yeah um yeah no I, I just want to say uh yeah, stephen mccaddy is um is the bad
0: guy hit on man.
4: the train looking really yes. mean <laughs> and it's yes the um elaine's therapist
1: from seinfeld yes dr Ra- reston
0: oh <laughs> yeah and pontypool. Absolutely
1: fantastic pa- pontypool and, is and is the big one now but if you yeah. haven't seen that yeah, people recognize him from from seinfeld he's another great character actor he's always well, been good. Uh, up here he's just an actor but
3: <laughs> <laughs> well and we talked uh, in the last season when when brian thompson came on of course i re you know i think i uh, mentioned his entire filmography but when he came on we talked about the fact that he looked like Schwar- you know he was called like the Schwarzenegger yes. Terminator and now McHattie shows up and if he's definitely the Robert Patrick Terminator right he's like the T-1000 yes. kind of iteration and here
1: yes. he always kind of actually not in this episode or in the Seinfeld one but generally he kind of you know he's kind of a the long lost brother of, of Lance Hendrickson. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Particularly. Yeah. Like he
3: not, he not so much here, but as he gets a little older, he does. He's, he's like the slightly
4: gaunter sort of Lance Hendrickson. Yeah. Deeply lined face. He's got a great face.
1: And he's got that as, as, and as he gets older, he's got that, he gets the more gravelly voice. He's, he's just amazing. in Pontypool, if you haven't seen that, he should have been a rambling vampire killer. I'm just saying. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> but is
3: good. the uh, this second episode is, uh, which is 731, and it starts right after he jumps on that train. And then that one's, again, we have Rob Bowman jump back in. And suddenly it's like, again, it just looks a little bit more cinema. I feel like this is the point when the work he does on this season, I guess he gets nominated to direct the movie, you know, in about a year or so. And okay. Uh, but that scene on the train, like the actual shot of when he's hanging on the train, like the way. The way it kind of pivots and moves, like it has this feeling where, where, you know, it's not just here's the camera and there's the train. You know, there's a little bit more going on. And he's kind of perfected those like Spielberg flashlight beams too, I think more than any of the other like directors. There's a point when they're at the leper colony. And they're looking, you know, the, the lepers, the the ones that have remained, are hidden underneath the floorboards. And Scully is mm. with them. And you have those flashlight beams look like they could, like, slice you right in half. You know, they're, like, yeah. so angular. And they're coming out from every direction. And it's they've always had the flashlight beams that just seem more prominent in this episode. And it, it, it this was almost a Hitchcock feel in some of the way they were trying to stage some of the suspense scenes, Victor. Particularly once he's on the train. And I really like that they start giving some of these like smaller, really small character parts that they could just have them walk on and off, like like the lab tech with Scully, who's like,
1: he's great. He he comes up now and again.
3: Yeah, and he's always yeah, yeah. you know he basically says what a what an adult or something doesn't he after whatever. He's yeah, yeah. He had the to opportunity
1: wow. to flirt back. Scully touched his hand, and he uh, he has the cheese. I forget what it is, but yeah, he, he hates <laughs> his comeback. He's like, oh, I feel so stupid. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. It's like you yeah, are also great. awesome, or something, something ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> but uh, and then the, the other is the the conductor, like the, it's there with Mulder. And Mulder finds him. It's like, okay, here's what I want you to do. He's surprisingly resourceful. I expected him to
1: be dead within about two minutes. And who is that? Right. He looks so familiar. I didn't look him up because I thought someone would tell me, anyways. But who is that? <laughs> what else does he play? I don't that's know. That's not Quark, He's, is it?
2: No, he's in no, stuff. Though. No, I know what you're talking about, Dave. Okay. Like, he's in a lot of stuff. Um, and the other thing I was going to say about this episode is that I love the just the setting where they get like isolated. Anytime Mulder gets like isolated, away from everybody, and he's in like some type of danger, I always like that person. <laughs> it's it's actually know- the,
1: the the part two is is uh, the stronger of the. I it, mean, well, it's basically one episode, but but the second half is great and. I like how. I think so too. Yeah, they, they uh, leave the the garot mark on his neck for the whole episode. Yes. You know, he's
0: oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's got that the battle good.
1: scars.
3: Well, it's like right as soon as McCaddy fails at like decapitating him, he's like,
2: "Hey, I'm on your side." <laughs> yeah, right. but
1: you never, you can't trust that
2: face. Yeah, <laughs> they knew. Yeah, the face gives it away. You know, he's a bad guy. <laughs> Like that guy's never been cast as a good guy. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Pontypool.
1: He's 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 a shock yeah. jock. Is that a good guy? I don't know.
2: Yeah, uh, that's that's a yeah. good
1: point. Yeah, he's he's the protagonist of that story, but you might not it's invite him boy. over to your house for a beer.
2: Well, and I also like right. And of course, you've got to have the ending is is great from yeah. the, from the second episode with X showing up and saving them and the clock ticking down. Like this one, really feels like a movie block like a movie in a way like it's not does have the quite production but just the whole part one and two this has always been one of my favorite mythology like parts one and two i think this is one i owned i remember because it's just it's just so much fun and going back to the first episode i didn't get to say this that do you all remember when like fox would always show those alien autopsy shows
1: yeah Yeah. yes yes with with commander Riker.
0: Yes, yes man, yeah, right. Jonathan Frank <laughs> standing there trying to be yeah.
3: straight faced and be like, "Now what you're going to see is utter bullshit."
2: <laughs>
0: and, <laughs> and it's funny how it's Fox check. doing it. Yes, yeah.
2: <laughs> come be a check, man. Those were the days. Those were the days. We well, even
1: even here. just the uh, in the episode in the Clyde Bruckman episode, the the psychic hotline. I laughed at that, and I commented on it. My wife was like, "What the f- what the f are you talking about? What's a psychic hotline?" Oh my god! My wife's she was ten years younger homeless. than me, right? So she totally missed the nine hundred craze. Remember but they had Dionne you know, Warwick kids... pimping them at once. Absolutely. I was just going to say that Dionne um, Warwick. Up here, who was the the psychic? I, uh, not not Charo, but Oh, uh, there was a a, a Canadian hotline. I, I don't know if it was just Canadian, but she was like a. Uh, madam something, but the the psychic hotline was huge. Oh, I have been on mute. I'm sorry. When did I cut no, it? No, no, you we've been hearing you the whole time. You were hearing you. Oh, yeah, oh you were I talking. just looked at the screen and I okay. Uh-huh. Anyways, whatever, edit that out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but no, overall, a great two-part episode.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I, I think too, I mean, we could mentioned. like, it I think it's interesting that they come back to this we've got the potential, they look like aliens. And then we find that what's happening again, is just more horrifying than the potential reality of aliens, you know, and
1: oh, we, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, well, I was gonna let you finish. Anyways. Um, did the, did this also at the beginning of the first part of this, did, did they tie this into paperclip as well? It's the same scientists or a same group of scientists, except from the Japanese end that they kind of took after the second world war. And then they let yeah. him experiment here as well. Is that did I miss? Did I, sorry, did I hear that correctly?
3: I don't know if they explicitly tied to paperclip, but that's the implication that yes, you've got the Japanese side of it now, and uh, he's brought over and sort of ushered in and allowed to do his thing. You know, it's it's kind yeah. of the same process.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And so yeah. we'll do our other experiments over here.
0: Yeah,
4: it certainly should be, and I. think... I think the 731 is a reference to this uh, sort of shadowy or not shadowy, but like a specialized group of uh, Japanese uh, in World War Two. I think that that did commit some war crimes. Okay. So you're probably right, but I didn't pick up on that during the episode.
3: Um, the other notable thing here is we, we talked about, you know, John Neville comes in earlier as well, Manicured Man. We're getting these references to the other part of the cabal that sort of the cigarette smoking man, you know, has to answer to some of them. And then we get the first elder who kind of makes his appearance. And this guy sticks around for a while. He's always so weird to me because it's like he seems like a mob boss, but he talks kind of like Ben Stein. He's just so droll and flat in his delivery. He's like, Agent which, Scully. Which I'm almost too tired to tell you what's about to happen. The kind of like a heavyset guy who meets her there. Okay. At the, yep, uh, yep. And he's like, this is going to be awful. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he not necessarily one of my favorite of the Cabal, but it definitely shows up a lot, I think, after this. Well,
1: they don't all get to talk, so... No,
3: exactly. he, he might have been one that they should have not had talked about. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but he's they they're all memorable in their own ways, you know. So <laughs> then we move yeah. we move on then to episode 11 which we go back into the kind of monster of the weeks and Victor, I think you had this episode revelations
4: Yes. Um, Revelations. Uh, and I, I have read some, some mediocre reviews about this episode, but I really loved it. I, I thought this was a rare instance, especially on network TV, where uh, in a genre show they tackle faith. Uh, and it's important in the episode. It's not just a part of who Scully is. It's a part of the plot as well. Um but uh, man, this has an all-star cast. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah! The cold open, yeah. The cold open is a reverend um, talking to a, a fairly full house, and uh, the reverend is played by Arlie Ermy, the you know Sergeant Hartman from Full Metal Jacket. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, playing playing totally against type as a you know sort of open-hearted. Uh, Reverend, uh, and in the crowd is, you see the face of um, the character's name is Simon Gates, but he's played by Kenneth Welsh. Wyndham Earl Yeah, Yeah. Wyndham Earl from Twin Peaks. Um, And (laughs) I will always remember Agent Cooper's description of him where he says, his mind is like a diamond. Sharp, cold, and brilliant. (laughs) 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 It's just awesome. Um, but, uh, and that's just the beginning. I mean, the, uh, well, I'll, I'll just, uh, describe the cold open. So the Reverend gives his, uh, his sermon and then at the emotional height of it, uh, stigmata erupt from his palms, um, and, uh, mirroring the wounds of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And, um, after this it cuts to after the sermon where uh the reverend is sort of removing his makeup and uh kenneth uh welsh uh or i should say the, the character simon gates um uh, appears in the door and says oh good servant sermon reverend and he's like yeah people noticed especially me and um and then he grabs the reverend and you think he's gonna strangle him but then he displays that he has superhuman strength and you hear a sizzling sound and they cut away. Uh, and then of course, uh, the first scene of the show is Mulder and Scully arrive and they find out the, the Reverend Stigmata was a fraud. And, uh, so at this point you're thinking, is this serial killer targeting frauds because he's an ultra religious guy or, or what? But it turns out that this is another, uh, like a blueprint for, uh, what came later in millennium, um, where you have agents of good and agents of evil, and they are trying to get a certain agenda pushed or a certain person protected in this case, because eventually um, uh, Gates starts targeting this kid who has stigmata for real. And uh, it becomes obvious to Scully, who is a Catholic, um, that she has to help protect this kid and keep him out of the clutches of Gates who has supernatural powers. And is later revealed to be in the service of the devil. Um, So, um, yeah, really, really cool episode where weirdly the Scully and Mulder roles as far as believer are flipped. And I have to say, Mulder comes up wanting in this episode. Like he's totally unsympathetic. Disappointing. Yeah, it's like after all those times where she's gently rebuffing his crazy theories. He can't once just go. Okay, we're just going to go with you on this one. You know, I, I just I, I was very frustrated at that. But other than that, I really liked the episode. I loved where it goes. Um, the the agent of good that is trying oh, to protect the kid as well. I, I thought is, you were going to uh,
1: forget that. Yes, that? Uh,
4: <laughs> yeah, Michael Berryman um, is uh, is in it. He's uh, you'll remember him as Pluto from The Hills Have Eyes. Uh, I, I, the first time I saw the Hills have eyes was in a revival theater in Los Angeles and he was there, like Michael Barrowman oh, was awesome. there and, uh, you know, he, he, does look very unusual. He, uh, like he has a condition that, uh, you know, uh, expels all the hair from his body, I think. Um, but, uh, I was really into punk, like the punk scene at the time and I thought he looked really cool. So I just introduced myself to him and he's the nicest guy in he's the a world. Super like, he's guy, guy, you know? I always he's hear just, that. He, yeah. yeah, he exudes kindness and he was really interested in everything I had to say. You know, I mean, obviously he's approached by fans all the time. So I, I was just shocked at how cool he was. It, uh, it's neat is. how he's I, cast
1: as the good guy. And uh, sorry, the the drill sergeant from, uh, <laughs> from Full Metal Jacket is cast as the priest. Like generally <laughs> they would be cast in the opposite roles.
3: But Welsh and, uh, is right but, on yeah. target.
1: He's still yeah, just he's he's a psycho. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, but Welsh, yeah, Welsh is. Um, he's also. Uh, he he's uh, a main character in this uh, TV show called Lodge Forty Nine that I highly recommend. Which yes, is not that's good stuff. It's, yeah, it's not horror. It, it's um, it's kind of a, a comedy slash drama about a uh, you know a secret society, <laughs> he's it's funny. the leader of the yeah
1: <laughs> Lodge Forty Nine.
4: Great in it.
2: Although yeah. it sounds like
3: it could yeah. be a Twin Peaks spinoff, right?
4: <laughs> the, title. Yes. The, Black, the Black Lodge yes. 49. Black Lodge. <laughs> yeah, it, it deals with mystical themes, but it's done with a comedic twist. Um, yeah, well, sounds but, good. Uh, yeah. In any case, yeah, I really love this episode. Um, it, it, it has a great finale, I think, uh, showdown in this uh, recycling bin. And I love the way... They use uh, like signs and portents that um, that uh, Scully discovers and is trying to read meaning into them and they end up being true. Like the there's there's a circular symbol that comes back and, and it you know, they sort of interpose it on the recycling uh, plant symbol as you know, as in like that's the hint that that's where the showdown's going to happen. Uh, so there's a lot of really cool stuff in, in this episode and I thought they handled it well. What do you guys think?
0: Oh, yeah, I totally I
1: agree. It's it's a great one, yeah. and and except for like you said, like Mulder's behavior. I mean, even if you, he's generally such a supportive character, and even if you don't believe what Scully is hunting this episode, yeah, she has gone along with you on every crazy, insane idea you've had and tried to either support or help you. Uh, just I don't know, out of character, I think.
2: It's but weird, other than buddy.
1: that, great episode.
2: Yeah, it's weird that Boulder's like you know I believe in aliens and Godzilla and werewolves, but
1: not Godzilla, but not God.
2: <laughs> but right?
0: God, not
1: like, ghosts are what's okay, but not you? God.
2: Yeah, Scully, what's wrong with you? How dare you think like that? But other than that, so that that's a little out of character, like you said. But I've always thought this episode's really good, really like good, um, just kind of like thematically really interesting but also I just love the feel of it. Like it's dark and it's shot really well. And it's kind of scary. When I watched as a kid, I, I, this episode always scared me. Like I remembered this episode scaring me a lot.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, I, I guess it's just the gravitas that Welsh plays his character with um, oh. that he, he, you just think he's going to get him.
1: So, also a, a question before we finish with this. So Scully is correct, right? Like she yeah. her faith yeah. is yep. uh proven right and uh sorry not Windermere, uh Kenneth Walsh or Welsh he is Um, pos- like what 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 do we think like there there's no you know they don't solve the crime here but but we have truth exposed and Mulder still doesn't believe <laughs> well it's not fully proven know. that
3: yeah. he's the you know, that he's a demon. I think we come to that based on a couple of things. One being that millennium does take place in the same universe because later on they come across Frank black and uh, in millennium, these characters are proven to be what they say that they are. Um, A couple of things I wanted to mention because, you know, there's Mulder's behavior, which I agree. It's, it's very harsh. It's kind of, it seems that character, however, it, it, this has popped up a couple of times. And I, I think the problem is sort of how the inconsistency that they deal with it in general, because uh, beyond the sea is probably one of the best that try to tackle the faith element. Right. I think this one's really good too. But in those episodes, you always have the flip flop where Scully now becomes the kind of believer. And when it was handled in beyond the sea, Mulder is very skeptical there too. Right. Like when it comes to some kind of, there's certain things he seems to be skeptical to and you're not sure why. In that one, you almost got the the idea that maybe some of the bitterness or his attitude is how often she rebuffs him. And even you go back to the Oubliette episode where she comes off kind of like, wow, that's a little harsh. And then she's willing to just kind of turn around and completely embrace and almost seek after this. I you know, you get the feeling, well, is that it? Is he kind of put off by the fact that she was so readily run to this? And it seems to defy her standards that she applies to him. However, I don't think that the show ever writes that nuanced enough to get that feeling. And so every time there's a religious episode, for a while, I started to wonder if we weren't going to get some kind of backstory with Mulder. Well, he's had some kind of really bad religious experience. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's just so
1: pronounced.
0: I
3: in fact, he flip flops because, like, by. I want to believe like Mulder's the one and in the later seasons, Mulder's the one spouting all the stuff about, well, Scully, what about this? And what about God? And you're like, what happened? Did you guys, did you, you used to have a dreamland body switch and you never switched back? What? I don't,
1: I don't remember the later seasons, what you're talking about, but I, when you were talking I kind of started wondering, well, do they have in the writer's room in their Bible? Do they have uh yeah. Scully believes in God. Mulder doesn't stick to that. Write your story.
3: It feels like, like that's supposed to be mm, because if it's these are character, yeah. beings,
1: Stick to them, yeah,
4: yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I, I think that's just an inherent problem in having a writer's room instead of one writer. Yeah. Um, like I've seen a, a big trend these days, uh, to, for one showrunner to write every single script in a show, and that way everything's yeah. consistent with every character. Uh, and it can't be exaggerated. Like the elements can't be exaggerated by different writers. And, and that's when the inconsistency sort of happens. Oh, well, I just want to draw. say one more thing about this episode yeah. though. Um, it, a very minor role, Sam Bottoms yeah. playing the father <laughs> yes. of the, the, the hunted kid, um, Lance Johnson from apocalypse. Now I was just like, God, that guy looks familiar. Yeah. <laughs> and I looked him up. I'm like, what? A oh, real um, sounds- fantastic yep. actor. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I was trying to figure out who he was, too, at first. And then, (laughs) um, and you know, the other thing that's interesting that I do like is, you know, it's Scully's faith here. It is also very specific. It's very specifically Catholic. Like, all of the nuances to what's going on are seen through the prism of Catholic faith and and, and dogma, right? So that does make it a little more interesting. It's not sort of a general faith. Her faith is very specific, and she needs to make those jumps through, you know, through these different uh, kind of catholic symbology that plays a lot into uh, millennium as well and i think and i know chris carter didn't write this one but i know that carter and his faith kind of do play into the show as it goes on and it creates that dichotomy the one thing I, w- sure. I wonder when these episodes show up show up is like it seems like man they're screwed either way right Like, there's a vast alien conspiracy and there's a vast demonic conspiracy. Like, how do we get these two forces to fight each other? Like, at what point do the angels show up and help you fight the aliens or do the demons just decide that you can't, you know, embark on their turf? Who's going to get the apocalypse
1: first? Well, the angels are still the aliens' angels. There's only one true God, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's why You're you got right. Mulder
2: and Scully. Like, they're people. Like, they're, first of all, they're geniuses. It always amazes me. And I know I say this episode every episode, but how do every episode, they always know everything? Like, every theory, every, like, they must study a lot between my like, cases. Because they are yeah, a genius. Yeah.
1: Mulder basically sits in the basement either reading or apparently watching porn. So, yeah. He's got a lot of time to. You, don't, you, mean, you can it's probably multitask Dave. I mean, it's you could, wobbly. but it seems like seems like there's better ways to spend your time. Yeah,
3: Pateka, if you got to hand more. that file up to Scully afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> anyway, episode 12. <laughs>
5: and I think you have this one, Karen, right? I do, yes. Um, episode 12, War of the Coprophages, I think is how you say that, uh, which is... I guess the dung eaters Um, is that what it is? And yes, um, well, I know that's what part of that word is, and so I think that because of what the roaches are doing at the end of this episode, I think that's that's what it is, and it's I think it's supposed to be a play on War of the Worlds, yeah, um, because it also takes place in a town called Miller's Grove, which is a play on Grover's Mill from the War of the Worlds. Uh, 1938 radio broadcast. Um, I love this episode so much. Um, and in this one, it was, let's see, written by Darren Morgan, uh, directed by Kim Manners, watched by 16.32 million people in its initial broadcast, which blows my mind that that many people would have watched it like live when it came on. That's crazy. um, but Agent Mulder is out investigating reports of strange lights in the night sky when he learns from the local sheriff that there's another death in the town from killer cockroaches. Uh, he's intrigued, so Mulder tags along with the uh, sheriff, um, along with the series of deaths that ensue. Uh, witnesses all claiming that the dead bodies are covered with roaches, uh, although none are to be found when the police arrive. Uh, And Mulder learns that there's a local experiment going on. So he uh, breaks onto the site of this experiment and meets the entomologist involved, uh, (laughs) the, this is how it's worded, the rather attractive Dr. Bambi (laughs) Barenbaum. However, the answer, Lies with other tests going on in the town, and throughout this episode, Mulder keeps in touch with Scully, constantly calling her, saying, "I think you need to come down here." But every time she has this long, logical explanation about what's happening, and he's like, "Oh, okay, never mind." Then. Um, but as people in the town begin to panic, uh, Scully does travel there and joins Mulder just to find out uh, what's going on um, in this episode there's so many funny lines there are so many things she's reading breakfast at tiffany's which apparently was a joke because david Duchovny was on an episode of jeopardy and he got a question wrong about breakfast at tiffany's which is why they (laughs) showed her reading the book um they had an animal trainer uh who used 300 cockroaches Um, and they said only one died of old age while they were filming. (laughs) Delightful. (laughs) Um, And they apparently they got in a little bit of trouble from the standards and practices people uh, because the initial script uh, used the words like crap too often, (laughs) which is funny compared to what you see on TV now. Oh, yeah.
0: Um,
5: And I didn't watch Millennium. I I need to go back and watch this. But they said that this episode or that was uh, the fact that they got in trouble was parody parodied on a later episode of Millennium. Um.
3: Yes. Let me see here. Dara Morgan writes um, in her own episode of Millennium that brings back uh, Jose Chung, but we can talk about that later.
5: Um, oh, nice. Um, and this is the first <laughs> the first appearance of the Stoner and Chick teenagers, <laughs> um, which that's their character name, Stoner and Chick, um, and they are getting high with their other friend who's uh, name is Dude in the the description, who was played by AJ Buckley, who I knew from Supernatural. He was one of the Ghost Facers in the yeah, Supernatural that's series. He's the one I didn't recognize.
1: <laughs> the other one is Tyler um, Labine, Canada's favorite yes, stoner. Was, yes, you know, Tucker, um, but
3: no, he was uh <laughs> he's stoner here.
1: Yeah, well, that was his role for the first uh, decade of his acting career. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Um I thought when I watched this episode back then like those little robots always reminded me of um that movie uh, Runaway that had yes. Oh yeah Tom Selleck was I think in that movie yeah, Tom Selleck Selleck and Gene, Gene Simmons That's right Gene Simmons but these were definitely a kinder gentler version of those robots the robots in here when they're talking about this is what we should be using to go into space instead of robots that are like people the whole time. I'm like, those are the Mars rovers curiosity and perseverance. That's what we did is we used um, these kind of insect like robots to, to go to Mars. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. But I love this episode. There's so many funny lines in it when he's showing Bambi the roach and asking if it's abnormal. She says, I'll say he's hung like a club-tailed dragonfly. Like there's just so many little comments like that in the whole thing and i just i i could watch this episode over and over again there really? are long monologues that they do and then the other person will say something funny i just love this episode
1: it, it is very funny i love the ending where bambi kind of hooks up with the uh the, the stephen yes. hawking doctor because their yes. their their brains are so sexy
5: smart that. right. is sexy that's david the company
1: is standing thing. right there i would sleep with him come on man <laughs> <laughs> I'm not uh, advocating or condoning or putting anybody down. I had to look up the, the stoner scene. Like, I've I've experimented. Ugh. I went to college. I didn't know what they were doing. I had to look it up.
0: Yeah. If, if, if
1: you don't know, they're smoking cow dung. That's messed up, man. Like, yep. <laughs> I... I have never. I've seen people crush up nutmeg, try to smoke banana peels, sniff glue out of a paper bag. I have never heard of anybody smoking shit.
5: That's I have. <laughs> a, a, my parents. My mom has a family farm. I have heard of that oh uh, activity. Yes.
1: Well, up here in Canada, lots of things are legal. You can just order. You don't have to smoke that.
5: That's right. That's right. <laughs>
1: It seems right,
3: right. There's an element of desperation there that you're sort Oh God, of like, yeah. <laughs> These are the same characters who are later seen licking toads and then huffing paint. So <laughs> right. Oh yeah. <laughs> but that they started right with the crap is. You know.
1: I, I mean, wh- who even thought of that? Whatever. That's that's a different <laughs> podcast. But I just have, I have <laughs> to look that right. That is what they're doing, and it is a real thing that some people do. Yeah.
0: Crazy, yes, which it
3: works them perfectly with the coprophages. So there you go.
5: <laughs> yes, these are
3: the
4: dung smokers.
5: So,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, it's a great yeah. episode. I agree. It's one of my favorites from the season, probably. Yeah, and I remember
5: in the beginning when the first the uh, what's it, the exterminator is there and he starts having a heart attack or anaphylactic shock or whatever and the roaches start crawling through the ground that to me like that's the x-files sound like when you the music that they play as those bugs are crawling out oh that's so x-files to me when i hear that
0: the the, the music this year
1: again is great but i i thought about that too in this episode it's it's almost like i feel like i've seen it in other bug movies where you're just plucking the strings a bit is that what you're talking about the little
5: yes
0: yes
5: that noise and what was the sheriff doing when <laughs> Mulder says "Oh, I was just you know scraping off some bugs or whatever and he goes to grab his gun were they cockroaches like was he gonna shoot a, cockroach? a cockroach you have right? to be a, a really good shot to shoot a cockroach like why are you grabbing your gun
0: <laughs> is this the, that episode where the entire
3: town is right on a hair's trigger right like when they all go nuts <laughs> and the whoppers hit the ground <laughs> <and Okay. laughs>
1: Is this the episode where the sheriff is always swearing so they beep him? And then Skull no. even. No? Okay.
3: No, that's. um. I think that's later. Well, we, we'll get to that. That's this season. It um, is.
1: The, it's, oh, it might be him, Jose Ch- put It's one again. of the funnier ones. anyways.
3: So he's like, you.
1: Yeah, they, like
3: you blink. Yeah, he's Bleeping, saying bleep. bleep, bleep, bleep and blankety. <laughs> uh, right. I that's think it's Jose Chung. It must be, because that's
1: one. a pretty funny one. <laughs>
0: Yes. but
3: it's just he again it's a Darren Morgan written episode Kim Manners directs it and it's just so chock full of everything Duchovny had said you know he they you know everybody loved the Darren Morgan script so he said the thing he liked is that he always felt like Darren Morgan was out to break the show when he would write an episode <laughs> like and it's it's almost not like he breaks it but it's like he kind of distills it to he makes the subtext just text right and then it's like, blatantly loud. So like the Mulder and Scully relationship here where – and it's like directly on the heels of, you know, she's completely – not dismissive, but she's going right for the scientific fact. And then, you know, Mulder follows along and says, yep, you were right. <laughs> and the, Never mind. Go back <laughs> to what you were doing. And yet if you get the feeling too they, they're playing up that sort of – that shipping vibe that was starting to happen at this point. Like are Mulder and Scully going to get together where she's just, you know – is scully really jealous of him with bambi or is she just jealous that he's off you know he's got a partner doing something with and she's just at home reading breakfast activities, you know mm-hmm. and when she finally decides to jump up and you know it's suddenly one moment she he says something she's like nope okay Mulder, it's time for me to to come up there Does she come up there because dr bambi's hanging around or <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is no place for an entomologist yeah it's <laughs> a great line <laughs> yeah and when that cockroach crawls across the, the like the television screen. Oh, what about uh, the last one on Mulder's desk? Man. Like that's not your average household cockroach. That looked like yeah. a cell
2: phone. <laughs> oh a my god. Cell phone. Well, I think that's right. supposed to be the alien, right? Yes, the, the alien that's what it looked like? the
3: ship disguised as a cockroach yeah. or something. Yeah. Oh.
2: Well I was just gonna say, I I've always loved this episode. Like this has always been one of my favorite. Just general X-Files episodes. And I love how they do the phone tag between Mulder and Scully. Like, yes. they, he keeps calling her. And it kind of shows you, and I think this is what you're saying, Nathan, the shipper aspect of it, where mm-hmm. it's like they can't quit each other. They're like, like, what is Scully doing on a Friday night at home? She's watching her dog, but really she's trying to figure out what Mulder is doing um, up there. You know in Connecticut or wherever he's at, so I thought that was a cute like way for them to interact in the episode, even though she's not in it a whole lot till the end. And then I love the line at the end where he's like, Scully, I never thought I'd say this, but uh, you spell bad, very
3: weirdly. Like, there's this moment of like, "What? what is ha- actually happening here? <laughs> What's happening? Yeah,
2: and it's just such a and I think uh, you all said it. Distill it the best when it comes to Glenn Morgan is like he knows how to write the X Files in a way that we all like. It's the perfect way to write the X Files. It's it's light, it's funny, but it's still unique. And he's always I've always thought he's always the best writer for the show.
5: Yep. Yeah.
3: And yet you wouldn't want every episode to be like this. And Got it's it. like it's peppered, no. and particularly this season, just enough. Like.
2: Exactly, yeah, exactly. You know, just every once in a while, but then I think, like, but then he left, he didn't do one for a while. I don't think, after I don't think he does any
3: more until the newer seasons of like a couple years ago, right?
2: I thought he came back and did a maybe he did one or two. I thought maybe in season four, like, I thought he did small potatoes. I could be wrong, Um, uh, that's a good one, a good one, but yeah, then he did really, I think, the two best episodes of the new season. So he's always yeah. been kind of... And then I always wondered, like, what the heck has Glenn Morgan been doing for, like, the past 20 years? And uh, Wikipedia, man, and not much. So that's interesting.
1: Yeah, made his dough and left. <laughs> You're right. He made that X-Files money. I need
2: that X-Files money.
1: Right, yeah. and
3: the last thing I want to, uh, to mention here, I do like that conversation when Mulder calls Scully, and it's like this confession, and he, and when he says first, he's like, "I have to confess something to you," and she's like, <laughs> "Really uncertain about what's about to transpire."
5: Okay. Yeah,
3: and so. Um, but but when he says, you know, he's like, well, I hate co- cockroaches. And she's like, oh, well, you know, you're afraid of them. I'm not afraid of them. They just, you know, I'm completely repulsed by their existence. <laughs> and his whole speech is just so strange. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Morgan went on. A- after that one, I don't think he did any more X-Files episodes until 2016. But he did do two Millennium episodes after this. Um, uh, and one of them was called jo- uh, Jose Chung's Doomsday Defense. So. Mm-hmm. there's that's out there so now that's we move idea. on to the next episode so we're halfway through we're two hours we're tracking like tracking like normal um <laughs> nice episode 13 and i think you have this one uh uh well who has this one i've got this one. Oh, that's right dave sorry
1: uh i pronounce it size g i guess uh, anybody else got a better syzygy uh,
3: i don't know i syzygy? like to say syzygy i guess I have no idea.
1: Anyway, so it's the uh, syzgy episode. <laughs> I picked it, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go to the Google Doc for the synopsis. Oh, it's quite short. Mulder and Scully investigate strange homicides in a New Hampshire. Oh, in New Hampshire that may be due to a rare planetary alignment that affects people's behavior. Uh, succinct and correct. Yeah, this is a fun one. Before I start here, I'm going to tell everybody. Take a shot every time you hear Scully say, "Sure, fine, whatever." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would describe this episode as like Mean Girls meets Carrie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I, maybe I'm not supposed to, but I, I really enjoy the two leads, the two girls. They're, they're really funny and bitchy, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I just get a kick out of this episode. I don't know if it's supposed to be as funny as I find it, but I love the <laughs> satanic panic of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah.
1: They're, they're, uh, so, there, there's also all kinds of little, like, I guess red herrings, because what, what essentially happens is two of the girls in this town have developed telekinetic powers, I, I would say that's the best way to describe it, possibly because of a planetary alignment they were born under, and as we get closer to the next uh, event, of the, the next planetary alignment, uh, their, their powers and, and weirdness in the town seem to be increasing. Uh, they also, like I said, one of the, the red herrings, you think it's a sat- satanic cult going on because the town apparently has history of this, but it doesn't really. Uh, the, the 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 high school, though, does have like a very <laughs> satanic logo. It's like a almost a, a like I say, it is like a satanic symbol. It's this the goat with the horns and all the uh-huh. students are wearing it. Oh, also this one, we mentioned young Jack Black earlier. This one has baby Ryan Reynolds in it.
5: Baby, baby. Very uh, yeah. <laughs> baby Ryan Reynolds.
1: <laughs> Anyways, no one seems to be noticing that at uh, as, as we get closer to this planetary alignment, everybody's behavior is becoming odd. People are getting really snippy and short with each other. Mulder and Scully just can't get along. She is fed up with his directions and his driving. Um, they they uh, can't seem to agree on anything in this episode. And... Basically, all of it. All of it leads to. Uh, there, there's a couple of, of killings that are blamed on Satanists, which actually are are the fault of these these two telekinetic girls. Um, they they basically spend the whole story trying to get what they want. They they understand that they now have these powers and they're trying to use them. They're eliminating, you know, like typical teenager stuff. They're eliminating people they don't like. Uh, they're trying to get the boy. Actually, that's one of the parts of this I didn't love. Uh, because the girls are basically best friends. They've been best friends since birth. And, you know, it's typical 90s. What starts to drive them apart towards the end is a boy. I mean, you could have come up with a better reason, but also at the same time, you've only got 42 minutes to tell this story. And it all leads up to a scene where now that they the girls aren't getting along, they, they kind of are hating on each other. There's a great, I think, uh, scene at the end in the police station with this telekinetic fight Everything is starting to freak out and it's all set to the music of the Keystone cops, which yes. really gives it a funny vibe. <laughs> I, 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 just, I think it's hilarious as all this is going on. The town has become fed up. They think, as I said earlier, they think it's Satanists and one of these satanic, uh, one of these girls is, is the head Satanist. They, I don't know what they think they're going to do. They bust into the police station with shotguns and torches. Like, are they going to murder a little girl? I, I don't know, but it, uh, the clock strikes midnight. The planetary alignment passes. The lights go out, and I, I think we're left to believe that the girl's powers are now gone. Now that this cycle has gone through, um, I, I just think it's fun, light, uh, it's quick paced. I like the the satanic element and, and the mean girls part to it, um, and the uh, I, again we have Sc- Scully and Mulder kind of like an old married couple, sick of each other. I like that that part part of it, which you don't get a lot. anybody
4: yeah yeah i enjoyed it um yeah the the one of the uh, women one of the young women looked familiar and uh, i looked her up and oh yes. she was on she was the sister on that 70s show yes yeah that's i the, did the, the same thing sister, I was like, where right? do i know you yep yeah um but uh yeah i really enjoyed the episode um it's weird that they ha- they stacked two episodes where people start behaving erratically, including Scully and Mulder yeah. in a row. Um, but that's exactly what they did. And um, I, yeah, it worked.
1: I, I did wonder about that, too. Maybe they were produced at different times, but slotted in that way or.
4: Yeah. Yeah. They, they might have slated another episode to be shot first, but the script wasn't ready. So they were like, OK, we're just going to do. <laughs>
1: <whatever
4: it's called. laughs> I, I like that
1: it doesn't turn out to be Satanists, though. I think it's I, yeah, yeah. The, the planetary alignment thing. I get a kick out of I, it. It reminds me of a movie that I can't place. Uh, if anybody else can think of what it is, I don't know.
4: Yeah. Do um,
1: you get any more details, or is that was that it? <laughs> no. No, that's it. Sorry, that was my vague question. I know the the planetary alignment storyline is is. Uh, I feel like I've seen that in a movie somewhere before, but I, I just can't place
0: which. For
3: sure, either. yeah, we've you've definitely. Um, but I feel like it might just be another X Files episode that we. It's, it's also very
1: possible. i I mean, I'm 46 now. I've consumed so much media. Yes, I can't yeah. keep it all straight.
5: Yeah, but I'm it, happy it, you yeah. said you don't know if you're supposed to find this as funny as it is because I think I wrote that like there's some really terrible things that happened from satanic panic but I thought this episode was so funny yeah <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah
3: it's not don't know go ahead go ahead no, no you go oh, ahead. See, it's not unlike the one you chose last season um with the with the satanic you know like uh, teachers association
1: oh yeah well that one is is straight oh, Satanic. Yeah. Yeah, I do tend to
3: Although they did, the I miss that satanic text. The are really years. kind of benign, except for the uh, substitute teacher. You know,
1: <laughs> yes, right. yeah, they're almost. Uh, well, it, it, that episode is kind of a comment on uh, yeah. on your 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 only on uh, the high holiday Catholics, right? Like the right. people that only go to church on Easter and Christmas, but they play <laughs> it's it as like
3: commentary. But it is fun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I, I don't. I the especially the the two girls being such such mean girls. I don't. I, I guess you are supposed to find that funny. I, I do. I I really I really enjoyed their performances.
2: Yeah,
3: they later I, try yeah. something. Like the some one, I don't remember very specifics about. I just remember they try something. I want to say it feels similar many seasons later, and it might involve Kathy Griffin.
0: <laughs>
5: oh, with what her what twin or yes. something. Yeah,
3: I think, yeah, place. I don't think the results were as good, but I have well, a very no. big memory. It's
2: Kathy Griffin, so that sells it right there. Like, <laughs> no, that
1: so anymore. anyway, I didn't even actually did remember her being in anything other than that reality show she had. She's
3: in it twice because she is twins. That's what. Uh, yeah, yeah, you said oh, that. You're right.
1: Yeah. It's her twin. It's yeah. um, and and it's something about
3: in their proximity. When they're near each other, they cause everyone else to flip out or something. I, Stuff it, goes crazy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, I think the called familiar. Fight Club" or something like that. It's like <laughs> anyway. Episode fourteen is called "Grotesque" and it's directed by Kim Manners. It's written by Howard Gordon. It has another seventy-show alum in it because <laughs> Wood Smith, who's awesome.
1: Oh yeah, uh, well, I was going to can- say Clarence Boddicker.
3: Yeah, 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 right, exactly. From fly, Robocop Bobby? and from... Can you Aladdin. fly, Bobby? Wow. <laughs> oh, I like it a lot, and of course... Uh, so uh-huh. the synopsis here, we have Agents Muller and Scully join Mulder's former mentor, the FBI's chief profiler, on a case involving a serial killer who claims to be possessed by demonic force. The case gets even more mysterious when the suspect is apprehended and the killings continue. Mulder gets involved more deeply than expected, and Scully, as well as Skinner, are deeply concerned. I... I quite like this episode. I mean, there's some elements of it that feel maybe a little overwrought, but it's a really, I think it really works as a horror episode. You know, it really feels creepy, particularly with the way they handle those sketches of the gargoyles. And you know what I think is interesting is they don't push, at least I didn't think so, the killer aspect and what the killer is doing. They aren't, you know, they keep that relatively low key and they play up the psychological sort of, back and forth that's going on, you know, what's happening with Mulder, what's going on. Uh and there's an interesting dynamic we've talked about, I think the first season we're like, well, what exactly was Mulder's like college experience and young younger Mulder like? Because he seems to have done a lot of stuff in a short period of time. And he's and got so many
1: mentors that keep popping up.
0: And some of these start to
3: contradict each other. I feel like some of the things they mentioned here were all this is where he was stationed first. And it's like, how much was he doing at one time? You know, I know like I, he's, he looks 25
1: he's only 35
3: but there's an interesting dynamic where you have we keep meeting people that knew him in his previous life when they kind of ridiculed him and the Kurt the relationship that Kurtwood Smith has to him is very interesting but here's a guy that's kind of tries to run him down and in and in university oh, he's so condescending yes and and when this guy everyone wanted to to basically uh Kiss this guy's shoes and just be in his presence and kind of bow down to him, but not Mulder. And that kind of only just causes the Kurtwood Smith character. You know, he he berates him, but he's drawn to him at the same time. Well, you know,
1: I, I kind of thought he saw, yeah, like um, the impression I got was he hates him so much because he loved him so much. He wanted Mulder to be the next him and saw it mm-hmm. in him, but then Mulder yeah. disappoints him, and then like a like a like a pissed off dad, he just can't get over it. You know, like.
3: But in this one moment, there's that weird bit towards the end when it's revealed that he is the copycat killer. Yeah. There's that moment where he, you know, and you get the feeling again, that millennium feeling that maybe there are some darker forces than just a profiler that got too deep. Maybe there's this possession because they point out that, you know, he kind of brings Mulder in because he feels like he's the only one that can draw him out. So I thought. Well, at the beginning, it sort
1: of starts out as a supernatural. You think maybe there is a possession. But yeah, it's it's uh, you know I lived in the dark too long and just became the dark.
4: Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I thought that 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 the way those themes kind of twin together is was really cool. The way they did that, and um, I, I wrote down in my notes. There's also this really cool shot of when um, Scully is in the artist's. there's a 360 degree shot that ends with Scully facing off with the gargoyle sketch. And I thought that was particularly well done.
5: Uh, I read that Howard Gordon wrote this um, after he was in New York and saw some of those stone gargoyles on probably buildings like the Dakota. And he wrote it as just someone being possessed by a gargoyle spirit. But Chris Carter came in and added all the psychological stuff to the script. So they changed it a bit.
3: And it kind of plays, it could play both ways in a way, you know, it almost had a feeling of like a Clive Barker short story at one point.
0: Mm.
2: Totally.
5: And a grotesque is by the way, a gargoyle that does not, push water away from a building. So when you see them and they have like their mouths open for water to come out, that's a gargoyle and a grotesque is just the statue that doesn't do anything with water. Oh, how interesting. It's useless.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I didn't really Uh realize that either. I I work in a seminary
1: that has grotesques. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Okay. Yeah. Anything it's, else? It's, you know, Barker Barker does use the word grotesque to describe his monsters uh, often.
5: Yes. Yes. The whole thing started with like this thing in France about a monster, but they—that's where the gargoyle came from.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: and and a, and a pretty good episode, I think. And again, I think that that again, one that really dr- that helps us form what ends up being Millennium, but. Episode 15, which is Piper Maru, brings back the the two-parter mythology again. And, and they do have them structured nicely, I think, where you know you get a nice run of Monster of the Weeks. And then you get the mythology sort of condensed. And it kind of becomes the you know uh, – they've developed a good structure. And they kind of keep that structure for most of the rest of the, the show. Uh, but Piper Maru, directed again by Rob Bowman. I mean, he must – does he have the total – uh, he probably has the most directing credits of any of the directors this season. I would say
2: show either. Yeah, for sure.
3: Yeah, yeah, most likely. And this one's written by, you got, the, you got Frank Spotnitz and Chris Carter on this one. And I'll read the synopsis and then, um, well, uh,
2: Tommy, do you want to go with this one? Yeah, I'll do Paper Maru real quick. Um, this one is a really good mythology. So we're getting into the middle of the mythology for the season. And a quick synopsis is when a French salvage ship sends a diving crew to recover a mysterious wreckage from World War II, the crew falls falls prey to a bizarre illness. And agents, Mulder and Scully, join the investigation. The investigation leads to the discovery of a familiar face and to Skinner's life being threatened. So there's a lot in this episode to unpack. And... The first thing is that this episode, I believe, you all correct me if I'm wrong, but this episode introduces the um, black oil, yep. which yes. came to be one of the great, I don't even, I don't want to call it villains, but like one of the overarching mythology aspects of the show. And it, it became so famous, like it almost became what the X-Files was known for, the the black mm-hmm. oil over the eyes, right?
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, yeah
2: and yeah and when you first see it you're like that is so creepy i love it and so a couple of things about the episode so piper maru was written to showcase two visual images that chris carter had wanted to include since the beginning of the show the first was a deep sea diver uh, finding a still-living pilot trapped in the wreckage of a World War II-era fighter plane. And that's what you get in the beginning of the episode, is that you see that, and then you're like, whoa, what is happening? And that's what they, they then come up, and that's where they get the black oil from. It kind of you know comes up from that wreckage, and then it starts to spread around. And then the second thing that he wanted to include was a black and white flashback taking place in a submarine. Uh, But I got to say, Chris Carter, I don't know if that was a good idea because I don't know (laughs) how well that flashback uh, aged. Like, I don't know (laughs) what you all think, but that whole flashback in the submarine, like, (laughs) didn't (laughs) hold up. It's pretty cheesy. Yeah, it's pretty cheesy. The black and white is just not very good, but overall, it still works. Now, like I said, there's a lot that happens in this episode. Uh, Mulder somehow winds up in Hong Kong. Was it just me or does he go there really fast? Wait a minute, he's in Hong Kong now? (laughs) Uh, Though I did love the scene where he's in that hotel room and the the red is flashing through. That's a really good scene. And then uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, um, Skinner gets shot. Yep all right oh yeah who knew like you all knew something was up when he's at that first of all there's nobody at that diner i don't know how they stated business and (laughs) then he walks up and the guy is like just sitting there and he just turns around and shoots him in the
5: stomach like that is is he gonna finish him out
1: didn't didn't they threaten him
5: first is that when he's defending the waitress or the Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah yeah
2: They did threaten him first. You're right, Dave. A couple like scenes earlier, they're like, watch out. He's like, "You know, I'll do what I want. Yeah, so, yeah. But then, right, he's at the diner and that guy. But I'm just trying to figure out, like, what type of assassin is this guy? Because he, he just shoots him in the stomach. He leaves. He's obviously <laughs> in, not dead. Right in the middle of a
3: diner. Like, wow, awesome. Right in the middle of a diner.
1: He, he, he probably thought the super clean floor would finish him off once he got, once it all infected his <laughs>
0: Yes.
2: Yeah, I don't. I didn't understand that, but that was actually quite shocking. I totally forgot that happened. I was like, man, a lot of our main characters uh, continue getting shot in the show. I was going to say you didn't.
3: Life. You weren't counting your episodes properly, Tommy. It was probably the right number of episodes since the last time we saw a major character get
2: shot. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like they're always getting shot. I'm like shot, or it's like that's a high body count with these uh, uh, with the gunshots. But the last thing I'll say is that. The ending is fantastic because Crycheck shows up. Of course, mm. Crycheck is selling some black market encryption with, of course, all the government secrets in the world, U.S. data. There's always something like that going on. And of course, Mulder's always trying to find it. But then Krychek goes in the bathroom and then the woman who now has the black oil steps beside him in the stall and, of course, infects him. And he walks out. He's like, I'm, I'm like a brand new man fantastic cliffhanger i always loved that one so i know i was all over the place with that episode because there's so much going on so what did you all think of it
1: i I liked it a lot as well but i i want to say first off we all know this is filmed in canada yeah i have the canadian podcast uh the opening scene with the french ship guys we filmed this in canada you couldn't find six guys who speak french i know you i know you guys are in the states maybe you don't get it like None of the one (laughs) of those actors can speak French. The other are just babbling gibberish.
3: This entire it's it's embarrassing, except for that shot that Tommy's talking about that Carter wanted to include. The opening scene, that first shot of the ship. Is that CGI? What am I looking at? It looks like a screensaver. It's horrible. I don't know what oh, it is. I, I
1: don't remember that, but oh. I, as soon as they open their mouths I'm like, "Oh, come on."
3: Yeah, the, the whole like, thing just feels <laughs> like we didn't have an opening and, or they lost it and they're like, "We got to film it in my kid's backyard
2: right now." <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, I'm, I I was thinking the same thing, Nathan. I'm like, "Where? Like we know it's well, the, mid-90s and TV doesn't have huge well, budgets. They,
1: they're maybe saving the budget for the end because I thought about yeah. the budget when when they do find the guy in the airplane, you literally you only see part of the window of you, you couldn't even tell it was an airplane
2: yeah yeah that's true mm-hmm. and then when the uh the woman the french woman with the um who has the black oil she turns into like a, a i don't know what a light just bright light i don't know what was happening there either at that point honestly i don't even know what the black oil is anymore at this point I'll just be well off.
1: i don't know what it is yet but i assume <laughs> we're gonna find out
2: well, maybe didn't... i'll read ya
3: not really sentient at least it doesn't seem to be and again at this point and then it can also be all-purpose it kind of like takes a lot of different like turns and you're not really ever sure what it is and i'm not sure that chris carter sure what it is but you know (laughs) they keep bringing it back in and the stuff that i liked here though was a lot of like seeing Mulder and scully kind of uh again you you kind of send them off in different directions And the both of them are basically trying at at one level, at least initially, are trying to pursue justice for their slain family members. But then they come up against this thing where it's like in the face of justice, we might have to put that aside if we really want after this ultimate pursuit of the truth or this ultimate uncovering of this great conspiracy, you know? So they kind of both have to do that at points. And I like, there's that exchange when she, when Scully's just kind of fed up and she comes back and Mulder's there going through this crap. And then she's like, He's like, well, that's why they keep me in the basement. And he's like, well, she says, you're in the basement because they're afraid of you, of your relentlessness, and because they know that they could drop you in the middle of the desert and tell you the truth is out there, and you would ask them for a shovel. And he says, is that what you think (laughs) it means? She goes, well, maybe not a shovel, maybe a backhoe. (laughs) So I like this episode, and I think both of these episodes more for, like, again, it's watching them evolve through the fact that they end up always back where they begin. (laughs) You know, every time they catch something, it kind of slips through their hands. And so, which kind of leads us into Apocrypha, which is this episode 16, which is directed by Kim Manners. And again, uh, Frank Spotnitz and Chris Carter are writing it. And now you've got, you know, Skinner is shot and Mulder's continuing trying to investigate what's going on with uh, the oil and with Krycek and with the wreckage at the sea and then we do get a resolution to that issue with the uh, with who killed Scully's sister. It's, it turns out it's the same person that shot Skinner. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how, you know, and I don't know what it's meant to be, but it's obviously not a very satisfying sort of conclusion there. Because even though by that point at the end of the episode, the assassin's dead, but everything else is just gone again, right? Like the black ooze right. and... Any kind of semblance of handle on the truth, 3rd they're, they're in some ways worse off than they were before. And, and now Mulder and Skinner are in the
2: hospital. At least like Nurse like right. Scully. Yes, yeah, so how many their the doctor, doctor bills got to be outrageous? Like Mulder, they always wind up in the hospital, almost dead. At which point do they just have to take away their insurance? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's well, costing
2: the agency too much.
1: I was right. going to say, wouldn't well, the FBI have really good benefits? They but
2: would, they yes. They ran out of sick leave. <laughs> like they don't have any more sick leave <laughs> yeah. left. Well, you're, yeah.
1: you're following that contract to the letter, boy.
2: Right. <laughs> I think, too, this might be
3: the point where the show starts to kind of develop. Uh, the way I put it was, it develops an, um, an immunity to providing the answers. Like we don't expect it anymore at this point, at least not in these episodes. Right. You know, we get a little bit and we're like, okay, the black oil. I'm happy with that for now. But I think, you know, and because because of how we get to see Mulder and Scully kind of persevere through the fact that they have to just keep getting cl- more knit closely together in order to kind of overcome the next, that next deprivation of the truth. You know, that next moment where we get close and we realize it's bigger and worse than we thought, but then all right. of our resources are taken away from us again. But a after a while, I don't think it's bad yet, but I think this is where we start yeah. to see it move in a direction that goes from being immunity to like,
2: we're allergic Uh, to giving you any answers. Well, I've always thought the X-Files was the best show to come up with ideas, either that or lost one of the two, like come up with ideas that were intriguing and like, got you on and like, I got to know more. I got to learn more, but possibly the worst show to ever to answer them. Like they're like great, great on proposing them. Not great in like giving you a resolution to them. Yeah yeah
1: I don't remember how I would have been feeling um in 90 this is 95 still this episode 95 I think I would feel okay about it, it like I don't yeah I don't I, like I don't remember if I had I, I don't know that I ever get sick of not getting the answers with this show but at this point I think I was still pretty much on board like thinking oh there's a lot yeah. more to come uh we'll figure this out but but in I guess you know hindsight yeah maybe, did did they drag it on too long or, or just maybe not have the answer when the show started?
5: Yeah. I remember just thinking we were going to get the answer. Well, at they, some yeah, point, totally it would, was right? coming. I'm just going to keep watching and they're going to eventually I'm going to get the answer. <laughs> at yeah. least by 2018, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Uh, just, yeah, one thing I wanted to mention was I think in the first episode of this two-parter, uh, Piper Maru, um, at least Scully gets to sort of confront her father's life in interviewing the the old Navy guys because he yes. was. An oh yeah, so that, that was kind of cool. That's that's basically the only thing they come away with is some emotional resolution for her out of these two. So.
3: Yeah, it's fun to watch, but it's like when you look at where the characters are, it's like. I'm still with the characters and, and and I'm maybe supposed to embrace their frustration. But other than that, it's like, this is a moment where you get, wow, was the black oil enough? Because I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. But then we move on to episode 17, which I think you had, Victor. Pusher?
4: Yeah, Pusher. Um, another one of my favorite episodes this season. Um, so, yes, it's directed by Rob Bowman, um, who's very talented, um, written by Vince Gilligan. Um, and, uh, you know, Vince Gilligan, I'm sure you guys know, created Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and he got a start writing X-Files, um, and, um, he famously said to Chris Carter after writing this episode, this is the best work I'm going to do for you. <laughs> <laughs> and um i'm telling you if, if you're listening to this uh if you're a writer do not ever say that because first of all it's not it's not true um and and second of all your latest work is always the best thing you've ever written you have to get used to saying that yeah um, even
3: king still does that
4: yeah besides and usually, what if you jinx it, it says, yeah, yeah. Um, but usually the more practice you get, the better you get. But um, but in any case, the, the cold open for Pusher, which is a really cool episode, is it takes place in a supermarket where there are some uh, kind of law enforcement-looking dudes undercover shadowing this guy who's getting, like, muscle building formula off the shelves <laughs> and uh the um the the customer the mu- the muscle customer kind of pauses at the checkout line and sees a uh <laughs> a um uh, you know what do you call those uh, like the enquirer um, like a tabloid <laughs> a tabloid a yeah, tabloid with a picture of the fluke man on the cover <laughs> And then he decides to just let the FBI know that they know or let, let let them know that he knows they're undercover and they just bust him and they take him away in a cop car. And this is when the real episode starts. Um, he's in the cop car. He's making small talk with the officers. And then he sees a truck coming uh, and he keeps mentioning the word cerulean blue. Like I love your uniform officer. It's the cerulean blue. I really love that color. It's calming. And slowly the, the driver is like, yeah. And the truck vanishes for the driver and he accelerates into traffic and they are T-boned by the truck. And, uh, it soon becomes apparent that this dude, which is uh, his code name is Pusher, I guess his self-made code name uh, <laughs> is Pusher, uh, has the ability to insert suggestions, mental suggestions into people's minds, and he has decided to use this for crime. And um, so he is a superpowered criminal. So this is this is really a classic, X Files formula, you know, Mulder and Scully are called in because they're they're the guys that deal with super powered whatever, and this guy is committing crimes and he's hurting people and uh, and he's doing uh, doing it with uh, mental abilities, um, and we don't really know how far his mental ability stretches. But I don't really want to go into too many details because I really just want to encourage people to watch the episode because it's so good. But it is. Um, yeah, uh, he. There are some very creative deaths uh, in this episode. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it if this came from a pre, like a novel or a script that Gilligan wrote in college, and he, you know, has been developing it for years and years and years, uh, and finally distilled it down to an X Files episode. Um, but um, the really cool moment in Pusher that I, I do want to mention is that. The, the, the character, the pusher character has an inoperable brain tumor and that's what's giving him, um, the psychic abilities, but he has decided not to operate because it's giving him such a high to have this power over, uh, you know, his formerly mediocre life that he keeps going. This sounds a lot like breaking bad to me. Right. Mm. Uh, Right. It's I I mean, he he has the power to lie just like Mr. White does. Um, And he's basically a normal guy, you know, an unassuming guy that, you know, people don't don't think has any sort of power whatsoever. Uh, And he uses his power for personal gain or for personal thrills. Uh, And uh, it soon becomes a really nasty cat and mouse game between uh, Pusher and Mulder uh, because uh, Mulder obviously figures out what he's doing. And that's just stage one. So, highly recommend people watch this. What did you guys? think? It, of? it is
1: so good. I when I, I mentioned, I think it's in Too Shy that the the villain didn't really do it for me. Well, in this mm-hmm. one, the pusher. Oh man, he's like, I he, he's like the best wrestling villain. You love to hate mm-hmm. this guy. He is just a, a you know a pompous sicko, and he's 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 deliciously wicked. I, I he's so hateful or easy to hate. You know what I mean? He's the and season he, I,
3: four MVP villain, oh, I think. Oh, absolutely. Sure. And and
1: uh it is it is creepy and and well made. He kind of reminds me, I don't know who came first, but you guys know they used him in Jessica Jones, the purple man from Marvel. He, oh, he has a similar yeah. Oh, yeah. ability. Yeah.
2: Great comparison. Yeah.
1: But uh oh, it's such a good one. I, I don't have much more to add. You, you said it, it it's it's uh, you, you gotta check this. Let's not spoil it. This is a good one to check out.
2: For sure. Yeah, if you haven't watched this one, you've got to see it. The <laughs> only thing I'll add is that, you know, I it's great to see Vince Gilligan jump on the X-Files team because, you know, he. I think he does some of the best episodes as he continues on. Yeah. So,
1: so is this his first? Is that what you said?
2: Yep. I think that's okay. what Victor said possibly, or Nathan maybe. Um, yeah, he, he may have contributed
4: to other episodes, but he's not credited until this one. Okay, This
3: is the one where it's like his name is solely
2: on as the writer. Wow. he I mean, Vince Gilligan is just a genius to be able to come up with that episode so young and yeah. to think that, I mean, he's still a young guy. I mean, when you see him, he's not even old now and he's doing this type of stuff. And then he, of course, goes on to Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But it just shows you the type of deep bench that the X-Files did, even when a guy like Glenn Morgan, who left, they still could bring in Vince Gilligan, one of the all-time great showrunners, to do good. To contribute to the show.
4: Yeah, I think this might be the the case of almost like critical mass with the show. Like mm-hmm. it, it has become so popular and such a unique genre show that I, I think people were just dying to work on it. And mm-hmm. I bet you Gilligan was one of those people.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, because this, I you could probably put on like the writers, producers of the X-Files to any show ever made. Like what they've done afterwards is is amazing. Even like the directors like David Nutter, who's gone on to be one of the big time TV directors now. He's like, just truly kind of amazing. Rob Bowman
3: makes Rain of Fire. I mean,
2: yeah, classic Oscar <laughs> winner. Pretty sure. One best picture.
3: That one
2: <laughs> won, won best picture at the Tommy Oscars. One right, best picture at my
5: Oscars.
3: I like the movie, so I'm not ragging on it. I it's do too. It's a fun it's movie. Yeah. <laughs> um,
5: I don't think it's giving too much away to say that he, the pusher, does something with um, Skinner's assistant. That I really <laughs> loved yeah. that whole scene.
0: Oh <sighs> yeah, <laughs> right.
4: Yes, um, and yeah. I also wanted to mention that um, you know you blink and you miss it, but Dave Grohl is in this episode. Oh I guess yes, you know, right. <laughs> Um, and the, the tie in with uh, early in this in our episode uh, is that, you know, of course, he leads the the Foo Fighters, the band.
1: What so. what part of the episode is he in? Uh, when uh, when Pusher
4: enters the FBI building and he's standing in line to be checked in, um, Grohl is standing behind him.
5: Wow. How yeah, odd. I had to really look for it. I only knew because I read about it that he he, he left the X Files and wanted to be on there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. cool! And they
1: hey, that's how uh, Whoopi Goldberg really got on cool. TNG. So that's true. That's yeah. right.
5: That's
3: awesome. Um, Grohl, fortunately doesn't go on to become a reoccurring guest, but no. I mean, he does. Get, no but the Foo Fighters do do have a cool song on the uh, "Fight the Future" soundtrack in 90, uh, they do. 98. Yeah. So there is that. Well, yeah, I mean. Such strong, great talent, great episodes. And then there's
1: episode 18. Oh, you feel that way too.
0: I'm not it couldn't sure go on you like this forever. This,
3: my kids said it as Texas bitchos. So.
0: <laughs> t- t- okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> my kids really want, like, they've been pestering me all summer for cat. A cat. They want a cat. And somehow, oh. when we got back from vacation, they managed to they went with their mom to check out a uh, the two cats uh, to rescue. They were going to get adopted. And they, yeah, it, now we're suddenly, it went from one cat to two cats. and That's always how it happens. They come back and they tell me, and it like, took me a while to agree to one cat. Now we have two cats, which is all cool. I'm cool with it. But they sit there and my daughter says, well, were there any killer cat episodes? And I was like, well, <laughs> the good news is yes. The bad news is yes. <laughs> but, and You're so not getting lucky it, with entertainment. Yeah, well, Dad, could we call one of these Texas bitchos? And I was like, I don't <laughs> think that dog. That Why not Mulder and
5: Scully? Yes. Oh, that's cute.
3: <laughs> that's the best thing to come out of this mm-hmm. episode, I think. I don't have a lot, except I guess I can read the synopsis. A series of deaths occur immediately after an ancient artifact is brought to Boston from an excavation site in Ecuador. According to Scully, the deaths appear as a result of political terrorism, but Mulder suspects something more improbable, like stuffed cats. But... Mm -hmm. I love these, I love episodes set inside a museum, or stories set inside a museum, particularly like a natural history museum, and this comes out March 8th, 1996, that summer of 96, the the movie version of The Relic was supposed to come out, and I had already read the book, so this episode should have, you know, it should have been like a home run, I like a lot of the initial stuff,
1: but then it just isn't. (laughs) Yeah, they can't all be winners.
5: Yeah. I read that the whole crew had t-shirts made that said um, Texas Bichos Survivor because apparently the whole production was plagued with all kinds of problems. So I don't think it was just the end result that had problems.
1: It was one of the problems that it was super cold. Like, I've never seen breath in Ecuador before.
5: It's crazy. Right? <laughs>
3: right. Any other thoughts on this one?
1: Yep. Uh,
4: yeah, avoid. Yeah. <laughs>
5: Well, if, you're, if you're a completionist, watch all. I think I can legitimately all, say
4: is bad this yeah. season.
5: Skip. Yeah, yeah, skip. It was a good idea. I think it did start out as a good idea.
3: I will say this. Yeah. If you got to be bad, you might as well be this bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, There is a certain sort of like, oh my gosh, you guys remember the killer cats? Ugh. Anyway, moving on to episode 19, which is <laughs> Hell Money, directed by Tucker Gates, written by Jeffrey Vlaming. It's... Uh, A string of mysterious deaths of recent Chinese immigrants brings Egypt's Mulder, and Scully to San Francisco's Chinatown. The agents team up with a Chinese-American detective to better understand the language and customs of the Chinese culture, but one thing remains frighteningly clear. All of the bodies are missing various internal organs. This is another one I don't have a lot to say about except, Mm -hmm. you know, James Hong, awesome as always. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, you gotta gotta, uh, shout out Lopan, but the... (laughs) And forgive me if I'm remembering this thing correctly, but there are no supernatural elements to this
5: episode, like none. I'm trying to remember the three guys with the masks. If there was anything supernatural there, didn't, I, I didn't hate the episode. Yeah, I, I don't um, have any and,
3: real deep negativity. It just to me, it's kind of a. Eh, yeah. I feel like my the main thing I remember it for that stands out is that at the end of the day, there wasn't any kind of. Re- you know, there there were some suppositions going through it, but I think at the end you realize it is sort of just organ harvesting. There's nothing mm-hmm. supernatural mm-hmm. going on, which is, I think, I don't I want to say maybe a first, but most of the X-Files has at least, at least a sort of like, there's the question of was it supernatural or not, or the villain may not be supernatural, but the means to which they find the villain is supernatural, uh-huh. like an ooglete. But this seems to be pretty mm-hmm. much could be... Mm-hmm. You know, if you made it a little less shadowy, it could be an episode of a cop show or something, you know?
2: Yeah. In Yeah. Yeah. Criminal Minds.
5: There was a movie that I watched a long time ago that had Hell Money in it called, I think it was called Seventh Moon.
3: Yes, that's a good movie. I like that About anyway. Ghost
5: Month. That's what this reminded me of when I watched it again this time, is it reminded me of Seventh Moon a little bit with all that fake money that they were doing is um to give to the ghosts or whatever and bd wong was in this who i love from from law and order svu only he looks like he's about 12 years old yes <laughs>
3: and and real talk crossover shout out tommy right you uh the director of seventh moon is uh eduardo sanchez
2: oh yeah you're right i didn't know that till you just said that so people can go back and check out that interview which by the way he is an awesome guy he really is cool. he's really
3: he's a good guy
2: yeah, just a good guy. Really fun interview. We, we'd love to have him on.
3: Episode 20, then, is what w- was a welcome mm. was a very welcome episode after <laughs> the previous two, uh, which is Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Again, directed by Rob Bowman and written by Darren Morgan, the last one that Morgan writes until 2016 or whenever the show comes back, 2017. And I love this episode. The the very brief synopsis doesn't quite cover it, but when a couple claims have been abducted by aliens, Mulder and Scully try to get at the truth, but everyone has a different version of the story, including the aliens themselves, and this cold open where you have this couple kind of driving along, and, you know, he's, he's talking about how he just, he's so sure that, you know, they're meant for each other, and she's like, slow down, it's the first date and then which immediately you kind of spark into you get into this this one is far more i think closer to a spoof or a or a satire of the x-files than any of the previous morgan ones have been you know they've always walked that line where there's still essentially a legit episode of the x-files this is the one that maybe jumps over that just a bit where it kind of stands by itself, and it's like, is this a fever dream of the X Files, or is it a straight <laughs> sort of almost like a Zucker Brothers version of the X Files? But I I I love this one as much as the other ones, and I, I while I think I I think I like the other ones that played things a little more subtle, like Clyde Bruckman and even the Coprophages and and Humbug. I still love this, and one of the things I love about it is as soon as it starts, you've got that opening. They pull up to the light there's the light that shines there they're at the stop light and it's almost kind of like a close encounters moment then the spaceship comes down you have the two gray aliens dragging them along and then a then a second spaceship comes down which produces this thing that looks like it climbed out of a harryhausen movie but it's just yeah. <laughs> in there on the, in, the, in the like the light screaming and you know they the one alien gray turns to the other and says like oh no what is that or what the hell is that or something like that and you're kind of off to the races. There's not a moment of this episode where something absurd isn't happening, and yet there's not a moment of this episode where it is not directly comment commenting on not just the X Files and the zeitgeist that produce the X Files, but the entire sort of American fascination specifically. I wouldn't let's say American, but just. I think the way it was, the way it was built up here from the '70s on, that fascination with the paranormal, the extraterrestrial, and the sillier aspects of it too, to the point of like Fox's involvement. We talked about the Fox Alien op- Autopsy. There's a sequence in this episode that that blatantly makes fun of that, and then has Mulder saying, uh, oh, we "Found a zipper," right. or Scully, <laughs> "We've got a zipper," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but. Charles Nelson Riley here, who's Jose Chung, who's interviewing Scully. You know, and she's in awe of him. She's loved his books that he's written, and he's so good. He's also another great uh, eccentric. He's almost, he's at the almost at the Peter Boyle level for this season. I, I've got
1: to be honest. I I know who he is, but I am more familiar with Alec Baldwin's impersonation of him than him. Like I, <laughs> he is really good in this, but I've, i like, is uh-huh. he an act? I don't know what he does. But he he is hilarious in this.
3: Yeah, he's great. He's great here. And his character, again, he's a writer who's putting together a book about alien abductions, doesn't really buy into himself. And he's involved in this story that involves the young woman and the young man who are taken by the aliens. And there's every sign that she may have been date raped in the The guy is being held by local authorities, and then Mulder and Scully show up to investigate. All of this is being told secondhand to Chung after it's all happened by various people involved. And it's kind of like what Victor said. I almost don't want to say too much more about the episode. Uh, There's some things we have to talk about because they're just so absurd and they're so wonderful. But it's not really about a plot. It's about seeing all the different facets of what people consider to be the truth. Or not even the truth, but what people find themselves... Telling, uh telling themselves about what they believe in or what the truth is to them, and so there's like multiple layers. It's like a Russian nesting doll of meta moments, essentially, and it 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 has Riley again, sort of, you know, not unlike Clyde Bruckman. He's he's drawn to and appreciates Scully for her, you know, her goodness and her fairness, despite, was his say, despite being a federal employee, and. He <laughs> right. takes every opportunity he can to sort of like cast aspersions on Mulder. And I love a sequence where he's retelling a story that was told to him by the guy at the diner about how Mulder orders an entire pie. <laughs> <It> eats the <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> yes, but but specifically he eats a slice and it asks him a question and he goes, he proceeds to do this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, one question then,
0: per slice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So
3: funny. But and, and, and everything in it is just pitched. I feel like so perfectly to be so absurd because this one is weird as the Morgan episodes have previously been these, you're not even prepared for how odd this gets. Like when Jesse Ventura shows yeah. up as the man in oh, black yeah. and and <laughs> he, at one point he, the one kid talks about, it, he's like picks him up body slams him on the bed and, uh, <laughs> and he's talking about how he's been interrogated by Mulder and Scully. And what does he, this nerdy kid tells him, what's he say? Uh, you know, I I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons for eleven years and learned nothing about courage.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, it what was, a lie! <laughs> it is, and yet as silly as it is, there's an interesting concept here. Where what's he do? He ties in the entire the entire thrust of the show from the very beginning to the last season in 2018 or whenever it came out can always be summed up in this episode where there's that. We've got the military, and they're doing something. But guess what? While the military's doing that, aliens are doing something else over here. And Mulder and Scully are stuck in the middle of it. Maybe Charles Nelson Riley's character is Chris Carter. I don't know what's trying to be said. But it all ends up being this kind of snake eating its tail. And they all end up kind of back where they are. And the end result of this episode is, well, you know what? Everyone's alone in the universe. It's this kind of, for being such a sort of quirky episode it It and, is and, and lighthearted. So,
1: it is so dense too. it is it is hilarious and quirky. The characters are a lot of fun. But now that we're sitting here talking about it, I can't even remember if we get an answer to anything.
3: All we do know is that is there's a solution that's offered to at least the story of the young couple.
1: Oh, yes, that one I remember i'm I, I'm thinking more of the the second ship that shows up in the Harryhausen creature. We're kind of like, okay, okay. Right? that's what I couldn't remember the solution to. I wanted to mention too the opening, how this is such a, a un- well, maybe not unique for the X-Files, but the very, very opening, you think it's almost uh, a play on Star Wars. You, you like you're, you're tracking yeah, a spaceship yeah. through space and then it becomes the bucket truck, which then leads into the actual story in the convertible. It's, it's just a great opening shot.
3: It is. It's great, and it seems to inspire Star Wars decades later to have a scene where it looks like a spaceship, but it's an iron. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) 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 But at that point, Star Wars as well and truly jumped the shark. But anyway. um, (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, who the other men in black turns out to be is so awesome. I don't want to, like, reveal it here if you haven't seen the episode. You know, (laughs) the one that's always in the shadows. Um, Yeah. A weird aside here, and I notice it here, and because I've been watching some of the episodes out of order with my kids to show them ones that they can watch. At least I think so. Until these things pop up, is it just me? Does Mulder several times throughout the series? He kind of evokes the specter of prison rape a lot. Like, he's oh boy, he just people. he just drops it on that kid. Like, yes, he's like the next rape you
5: experience may be your own. I was like, wow.
0: I didn't remember
5: that. As you pointed that out, I realized yes, that does happen a lot. It does, and it's always
3: molded. There's one in a later episode where he's like, Scully, do you want to end up with a bunk mate named Large Marge? And (laughs) he says something like she has a penchant for Gertrude Stein or
1: something. But I mean, it is the mid nineties. There's, you know, I probably gay panic is still a thing, so it's almost a joke, but it's not
3: threatening people this much with Right.
5: I think the stupendous Yappy is in this episode. This I think the he narrates. The, I think he does the narration of the video, the alien, the alien autopsy video. Oh, I think that's he does.
0: awesome. <laughs> oh,
3: awesome. Any other thoughts on this one?
4: No, it's a great episode. It's uh, one of my favorites. Although I do prefer the Jose Chung episode in millennium to this. Uh, it's, it's funnier, I think, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but they're both, great yeah they're both yeah. great so highly recommended it's spoofing exactly. different
3: things and it it actually has it has shades of Clyde Bruckman in it too like where the story ultimately goes and what happens with it but it's definitely worth right, seeing yeah. and it's kind of fun to watch Lance Hendrickson who's so droll play off of all that nonsense <laughs> yes yeah. yes
2: yeah this is such a classic episode I think you distilled it perfectly Nathan with the synopsis of this is what the X Files is. You've got the military always doing something. You got aliens always doing something. You got Walter Scully. never, tr- never solving anything, and that's the <laughs> show. No answer.
3: Never. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the episode, Dave, where they have the blankety blank. Where the,
1: where? Oh, it's this. Okay.
3: And and the detective's (laughs) like, Look at that blankety blank out there. What are they? I I only remember it so
1: much because at the end, Scully even uses the like, she even said, um, she's quoting him and uses a beat like a yes, she beeps herself. You know, I I can't get this out for some reason.
3: (laughs) No, and it's weird because that first scene, so this is 90, this is 96, this episode comes out, and of course, next summer we have. The Men in Black movie. And it's funny because here we have them trying to describe what men in black are and the phenomena of it. And you're like, well, in a year, no one's gonna need to know anymore what men in black
0: That's are. Funny. Um yeah.
3: and yeah. The, it but there's a scene when they're first interrogate when that the the detective or I guess the, the the police officer, whoever he is, sheriff, who's talking about the blankety blank, he's there interrogating this kid. But the person sitting in the chair, this older gentleman with a big mustache, everything, he looks to me for all the world like uh Tommy Lee Jones' initial Men in Black sidekick at the start of Men in Black. Agent D, the guy who, who gets neuralized about five minutes in. It's not him, but he just yeah. looks like him.
0: Yeah.
3: So yeah, that's that's episode 20. So then we move into episode 21, which is called Avatar. It's directed by James Charleston, uh, not James Cameron. And the story, this is interesting <laughs> because here we see David Duchovny. He starts to, there were there have been little like notes about, well, Duchovny wrote a line of dialogue here, or he wrote something that he wanted to say in these episodes. But this one, actually, he's not he's not the, the writer of the teleplay, but with Howard Gordon, who's credited with writing it, uh, the story is by David Duchovny and Howard Gordon. And this isn't the, the only time this season that Duchovny is sort of involved in the story uh, creation. And so this one's, this is interesting because this is a, really, this is a Skinner episode. Like, really, you get to get into Skinner's head a little bit. Uh, during a difficult time in his life, he meets a woman in a bar and spends the night with her. Then that bar, by the way, is in, uh, like, in a D.C., Baltimore. The next morning, the woman is dead and he's accused of murder. And Mulder and Scully join the investigation to clear their supervisor's name. As they unravel the threads of conspiracy, they also learn more about Skinner's personal affairs. There's also an element where Skinner, who's going through a divorce that's kind of laid out right at the top of the episode. The catalyst for him going to the bar is that he is kind of trying to deal with this and avoiding signing the divorce papers. And he has taken off his wedding ring. He's there at the bar. He meets this woman. And then as this episode goes on, as as they're trying to clear him uh, for murder he is seeing this kind of uh, this image, this uh, specter sort of of this woman in red who keeps appearing to him and then appearing as an old woman. And uh, these very kind of frightful, intense dreams. It also becomes kind of comes out that Skinner as he's talking to Mother (laughs) Scully, he starts to confide in them a little bit more that he has seen this presence before during the war. And, um, again, this isn't an episode any of us really like picked. I don't want to say too much about it. Uh, let everyone make comments. I think it's an interesting episode. I love that we kind of deal- get to delve into Skinner, but it it's kind of a disappointment. I think that at some level, like it's it's firing right along, and then it kind of just doesn't quite coalesce. At least for me, and I think just the disappointment is in when we finally get something that kind of delves into what Skinner's life looks like when they pull the curtain back even just a little bit, it's just not quite enough. Like I just wanted it to be, I don't know, a little bit richer. I don't know if you guys felt that way. I was happy to see Pelleggi really kind of get to, you know, kind of dominate the scene for a whole episode, but I just wanted a little bit more from it.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I, I would have liked to have seen more. I, I, I think the, uh, the, the actor that plays Skinner is fantastic. Like he owns every scene he's in. He's perfectly cast in the show. Uh, and it was nice to see him to a uh, story center around him. Um, but it, it was just uh, a little disappointing. I, I mean, yeah. I know that this is, you know, part of the intrigue of, of this particular plot, but the fact that he resists um, Mulder and Scully's help is very unusual. I, 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 uh, I was intrigued by that, uh, but I was kind of hoping he would join in and uh, maybe he eventually does. I I, I forget, but, yeah, it's a very um, it's a very simple story uh, for a forty three minute episode. Maybe that's its weakness, but it's still pretty good. I mean, Paletti's really good good on screen. So yeah, um, yeah. I think it's I think it's worth watching. It's good.
2: Yeah, it's not bad. Like you said, I think you hit it right on the head, Victor. It's kind of one of those like average, or like not bad, but just okay X Files episode. Plus, it threw me off. I really thought. James Cameron. It was a James Cameron
3: film, <laughs> 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 right? Hey, Mitch Pelleggi wasn't running around as like a giant blue uh, thing. Um,
2: we're getting. No, uh, I think we're getting, getting, at, course, yeah. uh, wrong, we're getting to uh, the point of the episode where these are the type of jokes. I, I, these are only. The type of jokes <laughs> well, we're, we're almost <laughs> really through. Bad. So if uh, anyone's no, no, silent no.
3: for a long time, I'll know what's happened. But we're coming down to James, the end. James Trotman
4: is. <laughs> Introduced on on movie panels and stuff as the director of Avatar, <laughs> <laughs> right? That'd be awesome. James Charleston's
3: Avatar, but <laughs> um, but I think I think what I yeah what I'm saying is like it's a it is a it's a good episode. I think the thing that makes it kind of disappointing is just that it's because we've watched Skinner, we really kind of like him, and and again, like you said, Paletti's a good actor that she just wanted it happens so, it's like it happens so infrequently, you just want it to be a little stronger, you know? And it, this was the first time it happened, really. But there's something something interesting that's sort of hinted at. Maybe, uh, Karen, I don't know if you or, or or Dave, you have any thoughts on this? There's something that's hinted towards the end of the episode that maybe this is still the cigarette-smoking man being able to control Skinner in some way with this event that's happened in his life so long ago. Like, is this a is this a legitimate like phantasm that we're talking about here, or is this some machination of the cabal? Like, is this something they're doing to him?
5: That would make sense. I I hadn't thought about that. I I like this episode, and I think it ends in kind of a sweet way in the very last scene. but I think there's just there's another Skinner centric episode later on in the series that I think is so good that to me when I went back and rewatched this, that's why it felt disappointing to me.
3: Yeah, I think I'm thinking of the same one, and that might be also like I have a vaguer memory of it, but that may also be what's happening. You know, when I rewatch this,
5: yeah. but I, that would make this better. I think if it was the Cabal doing this to him, like that would have and and alluded to it in some way for real that might have made it more
4: something yeah i agree i I agree with you guys it should be that i don't know if it's ever explained but it it makes sense that they tried assassinating him it didn't work and now they're trying to get him fired or put in jail to get him out of the line of fire of their plans maybe they're just
3: poisoning the water again like like with uh with molder yeah yeah He's going to get the wrong guy in a headlock and then, boom, fired. Mm. (laughs) Anyway, so then we move on to episode 22, which is Quagmire. And I think you have this one, Karen.
5: I do. I love this episode. Um, And I was shocked when I looked at it online that um, it got a lot of bad ratings. And maybe, maybe I like it too much, but I loved this episode. It got like a C minus from entertainment weekly, like all these yeah, different places gave it. Weekly. a. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they said, well, that, Hey, the show had to tackle the Loch Ness monster or something like that. Um, like that was their whole um, idea of the episode is that it was the Loch Ness monster episode, but there's, well, the episode is that Scully and Mulder head off to Georgia Uh, where there are reports of people disappearing around a local lake. And Scully isn't sure what they're getting involved with until she sees a highway sign advertising the local version of the Loch Ness Monster called Big Blue. Um, The latest victim is a Forest Service biologist that gives the FBI jurisdiction. Scully thinks it's all nonsense. The killings continue. Uh, Mulder thinks there's something very real out there and then uh scully comes around when she's affected by the monster in a very personal way um (laughs) i i do love the lake monster part of it because when i was a kid i loved the loch ness monster when we went to scotland that's all i wanted to do was we're going to loch ness i'm gonna see the monster i remember being incredibly disappointed that that did not happen (laughs) um But to me like the the reason I think I love this episode so much is the scene where they get shipwrecked on that yes. little rock um like I I think I read there were 10 pages of dialogue for that scene I don't know how Uh, they memorized all of that but that whole scene like I haven't read Moby Dick so I didn't understand some of the (laughs) stuff that they were talking about but you know obviously I I still got it and I just loved that entire scene um it brings back Tyler Levine and Nicole Parker as Stoner and the Chick they're back (laughs) in this episode licking toads with another friend named Snorkeling Dude um So they were back for this one um, and it has a couple uh, different people. I think uh, Chris Ellis plays the sheriff. Um, He was uh, in, I think um, the devil's rejects Uh, who else was in here. Um, Mark Atchison uh, was in this and he was also in a 2018 episode of the X-Files. And I love that they bring people back like, um, Dr. Faraday in this episode was in two other episodes as completely different characters. Um, Oh, and poor Queequeg, uh, (laughs) the demise, the demise of (laughs) Queekweg in this episode. um, but yeah, again, sixteen million viewers on May third in nineteen ninety six. I still just can't get over there were this many people watching the show. Uh,
1: well, the, yeah, I mean, can you imagine if television shows today have that kind of ratings? No, they, like not if at you all. get three million people to watch a, a DC show, you're you know you're, you're riding high. Yeah. It's mm-hmm.
0: crazy.
1: But there were you know three, f- three maybe five networks, and we all were you know there wasn't all the options that we have today so it's
5: that's true it's awesome that's true but i i hope that you guys liked this one too i was like i said i was shocked i thought everybody loved this episode i didn't realize it had such bad reviews i didn't know that i don't
1: know about favorite i like all the ones that are set in the forest uh i think (laughs) which is it's always yeah well i mean it's a it's an interesting and cheap way to use the local scenery um but they always end up being entertaining the you know what uh, the lake monster ends up being is is super fun. And I always yeah, like that definitely. kind of uh, creature flip. It's it, it's it's it is a really good one. I, I I didn't realize it had bad ratings. I mean, compared to some of the other ones that we didn't like this season, this is a super entertaining one.
4: Yeah, I think it's a terrific yeah. episode. It's it's one of my favorite X Files episodes. I would say probably in the top ten of the entire series. Oh great, uh, yeah. Me and, too. Yeah, I I just, I just think that scene, that uh, scene where they're driving at the beginning, Mulder and Scully are in the car, and she's like, "Why aren't you telling me where we're going?" And then they pass one billboard, and they pass another billboard, and finally they pass a billboard with, uh, with big blue on it, and she's like, "Oh no." and the emotional climax of that scene is much later when they're um, beached, <laughs> when they're shipwrecked, and um, she starts, you know, going, "Should we really be doing the X Files? <laughs> like, what's the yeah. point?" Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome, and uh, it's a great monster of the week. Really cool homage to a scene in Jaws yeah, <laughs> in it's... this uh, in this episode, and uh, I absolutely loved it. Right, and it
3: pretends, what, the 1999 movie, like Placid? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yeah. But well, I, I love it, and I think the thing, and I I feel like I've also, maybe I've seen it when it came out, maybe there were, like, native reviews, but I've also, I've also seen it on lists, I think, of, like, the top episodes. And it's probably not surprising to find that while he didn't write it completely, I did read a note that said that Darren Morgan did contribute, like, some notes and and concepts and stuff for this episode and it has you know it flirts a little bit with that same feeling you know that like mm-hmm. particularly that scene on the island and and what is at one point he's like better stop scully you're turning me on or something <laughs> some kind of thing <laughs> like that right and <laughs> there, the affection between the two of them like not like of like attraction affection but just I, I think some of their interactions in this episode are as good as any of the ones in the season, you know, particularly, you really get that fun, here's Mulder and Scully, and, they're, and then one of their, well, I guess one of their relatives does come to a bad end in this episode, kind of, but, um, <laughs> you because know, yeah. no one gets shot, but poor quickwig but... um and I do love, you know, that not only they bring the stoner and the girl back in this, and she's even got a little bit of an arc because remember in the coprophages, she's like, no, I don't want to touch that <laughs> stuff. It's going to ruin my life. <laughs> and then like,
1: oh, that's right. She says that funny line, like, uh, that's not the only, th- my mind isn't the only thing you guys want to expand.
0: Yeah, that's right. I was like, wow, that line. <laughs>
1: yes.
3: <laughs> but this is fun. And I, I too uh, love love all the as a kid loved all the lake monster stuff. I still do. In fact, another shout out here is the only other podcast I can shout out. If you go to the Horror Chronicles back in the spring, I did an episode with them specifically about lake monsters. So uh, it has that fun feel, and I do like even the very last scene of the episode. That does anytime you would any TV show would do something involving lake monsters there'd always be the is it this or is it that and then you'd have the secret reveal off in the background you know two seconds after Mulder walks away right after he <laughs> walks away yes uh anything else on this one Tommy do you have any uh, thoughts on this yeah
2: I think this is this is a great episode I agree I love the the sequence where they're like under the water and they've got like the radar and they're like tracking it then they're like starts it hitting him and it's like it reminds me so much of what, like aliens you know when they're tracking the alien mm. through them. yeah so that's just a great like little sequence there and then of course they got straight on the rocks and then poor uh the dog can't of his name quick, quick. Doggy. yeah quick i mean just such a great episode <laughs>
3: Also impressed that They do kind of weave Quig Quig through that whole season, but he just doesn't make it out of there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clyde <laughs> Bruckman managed to get him out of the apartment, but that's. <laughs> yeah.
4: That, yeah. So we feel the loss uh, a little more profoundly because he's kind of in a continuing character.
3: Right. We've seen Scully washing him during the war of the coprophages, which would be an interesting yeah. thing. Does he only show up during the Darren Morgan episodes and then his, Maybe that was what Darren Morgan contributed to this episode. Hey, don't forget my dog. <laughs> yeah, the demise of Queequeg. We need to wrap this up, guys. I'm out.
5: He starts yeah. out, you know, Quikwik starts out. He eats his owner, right? Like, yes, like that's he how. Does. He, and in the end, he gets eaten too. So the <laughs> arc is complete. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's wow. Right. But yeah, I, I love it. I think it's one of it's it's one of my favorites of the series. It's one of the best of this season, but which is a, a great season. Like as we've gone through every episode, minus one, I really have too many issues. Um, <laughs> episode twenty three, then, is wet wired. It's the last episode before we get to the finale. Again, directed by Rob Bowman. It's written by Matt Beck. Uh As the agents investigate a series of homicides committed by ordinary citizens, angered after seeing illusory images, Scully's trust in Mulder is put to the ultimate test. I really like the cold opening on this one, uh, where you have, you know, you've got this guy burying someone in in a plot seemingly behind his house. And then, you know, uh, he goes back in the house and he sees the same person again. And then we realize... As the cold opening progresses, he's continuing to see this person's face on everyone he sees, and he has uh, murdered more than a few people. One of them is is his wife, who's in the trunk, uh, because he's seen this person, and it turns out to be a, a figure, a political figure that he's seen on TV, a war criminal that's been on television, and... Mulder and Scully kind of come in and they begin to look into the case and just try to discover what's going on. And where this episode goes, you know, the 90s was always that do the violent, you know, uh, do violent images cause violent behavior? And that was that was still a pretty big thing in 1995, 96. Probably it, it wasn't maybe at the same height it had been in earlier eras but it was you know we were coming off a pulp fiction and things like that where people were trying to really make a case against violent imagery it's interesting to see what x files does with it here where there's actually something sort of underneath all of this uh that's programmed into the images to the point that well why isn't Mulder affected the lone gunman come in as well they should for a conspiracy episode and you know we just ventures out and says well you know i'm i'm colorblind partially could that contribute to it i can't see this color so could this be why i'm not being affected and we've seen a couple times through the season you know whether it's just more good-natured or it's because of some sort of supernatural influence we saw it with uh you know where there was (laughs) they they were sniping each other and we see it kind of more profoundly in pusher and then here we almost get to the kind of zenith of mulder and scully at each other's throats what did you guys think of this episode?
4: Yeah, I really liked it. Um, it really reminded me of this uh, Francis Ford Coppola movie called The Conversation. Yes. Um, not in the plot, but the mania that especially Scully, who is not colorblind, experiences after seeing the images, where she starts like ripping up her hotel room. And I just love the idea of you know the surveillers. Realizing they are under surveillance and freaking out because they know, uh, you know, what, what that means. Um, and, uh, that I, I really liked, uh, the conversation and I really liked this episode, uh, also, um, and yeah, you know, also the lone gunman coming in is always awesome. And, and, um, yeah, it's a cool, uh, little, uh, uh, paranoid, um, you know, uh, hidden like backwards masked message type episode, Uh, And it kind of reminded me of back in season one or two, that one where the LED readouts are telling people to kill other people in a small town a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. But still um, this, uh, this totally worked uh, because um, of the great scene um, where uh, Mulder has to confront uh, a a manic Scully. Uh, It's it's
1: awesome. I, I don't actually, this, the end of the season, Seems a little fuzzy. I don't I don't feel like I remember this one enough to to really give a good comment. I I probably enjoyed it, but That's about it. I
5: did like this one a lot. It felt like this was this time Scully's mind falls victim to something where we had with Pusher it was Mulder a little bit. So I liked how that got reversed for this one.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. And I think blood from season two is the episode you're referencing, um, Victor. That's it. You're yeah. right. you're I think right. they, I think this is a better one, and, but and it maybe it does suffer just a little bit from coming so close on the heels of Pusher, you know, in that sense. But it still works, and it's um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I think definitely it tends to be a lot of times that those episodes right before the last episode they almost feel like oh it's a filler one, but this one doesn't to me. Like, you know, I think it's part partially it's how it has fun with that concept of what the mania or the delusions are doing to these people as they see things on television, you know, it, it plays a little bit with that. And it also kind of ribs the concept of, oh, you know, TV is going to make you do violent, horrible things. It's not TV. It's still the government.
1: Yeah, you know, don't <laughs> yeah. turn your TV off. Definitely keep watching. But isn't this a cool story?
2: I'm just wondering how many times they've been like, under the influence of, like, some type of technology or, like, brainwashed or, you know, it seems to happen, like, twice a season. It seems like they they maybe should just stay
3: on drugs so that they can't be affected by (laughs) any other drugs or, you know, radio (laughs) waves or whatever's happening.
2: And just wait till we get to the episode where they actually do get on mushrooms. Remember that episode? Oh, no. that's such a good episode. Yeah. You're in the season, like, it's like it's late. Oh, the, the yes. Uh, field Truggle. That's one. amazing. Mm. That's a weird one. So, there's even that. So, finally, Chris Carter was like, fine, you guys want to be on drugs? Here you go. Just get on some shrooms. <laughs> cool.
3: Well, we got, we can do this, guys. We can.
0: We can keep this under four
3: hours. <laughs> Let's we get it. We be done by 9.30. <laughs> Who wants to set up the last episode?
1: <laughs> uh, I think I was going to read it. So, episode 24, we're finally here, everybody. Talithia Kumi? Ta- yeah, Talithia Kumi. I might need new glasses. This is from May 17th, 96, last episode of the season. Story. Oh, story credit to David Duchovny and Chris Carter, this one. Very interesting. So, synopsis. Mm -hmm. Agents Mulder and Scully search for a man who seems to possess strange powers, which leads to the discovery of a dangerous secret from Mulder's past. The secret could bring Mulder and Scully to the brink of exposing the truth about alien existence. And this is another good one. We're back in the mythology. The shapeshifters are back. Um... I don't, I don't think, is this a cliffhanger? Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. Uh, like I said, the end of the season is a little fuzzy. I do, I do remember this one though, the opening, the opening scene in a restaurant, you really don't know what's going on. You wouldn't know that it's uh, part of the mythology from the cold open. I believe this is the one where uh, a robbery goes wrong and someone gets shot. And, uh, I thought when, when the first time I watched it, I thought this would be more of a a faith episode because he heals the, uh, the victim and he, I don't know. He, he has a, a real solemn, uh, I I don't know, a little bit of a Jesus vibe. The the guy is very, uh, very calm and open and trying to talk down the, the, uh, robber, but it, it, uh, that's not how it happens. He ends up shooting the guy. The rest of the episode, I believe, does the black oil come up? No, but Brian Thompson is in this one. So,
5: is that the bounty hunter? Yeah,
1: yeah, he's the uh mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger looking guy. <laughs>
5: um He's yeah, part of the cliffhanger
4: out. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Christ-like uh healer guy who also seems to be a shapeshifter or yeah, he's a, um can v- vanish or
1: clones. Right. Is there a scene where there's more than one of them?
4: Yes, I believe so. Um but uh yeah, the the actor's Roy thinnis He's um he's really good. He was in, uh, uh, beautiful mind Sopranos. Um, he's very Airport familiar. Yeah. He's, he was big in the, in the seventies and, um, he's really good in this. And, uh, it's really, it's cool to have uh, a cigarette smoking man, uh, sort of face off with Roy Thinnes's character, um, trying to force him to go along a certain agenda and, um, you know uh, kind of see a uh, smoking man in in the position of not getting what he wants uh, as opposed to Mulder not getting what he wants which is the way it usually goes but um but yeah i really like this the cliffhanger uh <laughs> i don't know if i if i saw this first run when it was on tv but um i was just like no i got to see the next one <laughs> <laughs>
0: Look,
1: refresh my memory what is the what's the cliffhanger I
4: I actually don't remember um, what it is right now. I I just remember going, I have to see the
5: next episode. (laughs) It has the bounty hunter, like literally showing up in a car and getting out, walking towards them with his little. uh,
1: Stabby thing.
5: Ice pick yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: okay. <laughs> like
5: funny. and then they fade to black like as he's reaching the the group of them, like as he's about to kill a Very Terminator style, but yeah. uh yeah, like <laughs> literally cut to black as he steps away from them. I had to immediately go into season four. Yeah, that'll do it. I had read this is why I don't think I'd ever want to meet David Duchovny in person because he wrote this uh, I think he's too smart. He wrote this, um, and he was influenced by the Grand Inquisitor, a chapter of Dostoevsky's *The Brothers*. Like anyone who reads that, I, I feel like that's too smart for me.
3: <laughs> Which part was that? Yeah. The part where Dostoevsky wrote about an alien ice pick that can <laughs> <laughs> turn the
5: time of <laughs> the war? It, yes, that was, it odd. was yeah. that.
1: <laughs> I mean, who knows what kernel of an idea influences the writer? Correct. Victor would know more about right.
4: that. true yeah yeah usually it's with genre uh, genre fiction it's usually two ideas that don't normally go together and you mix them in your mind in a way that it's like oh that's a genre story
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you just gave us the secret that's funny yep secret sauce Mm.
3: but there are you know and is this is the episode where we do have it doesn't the alien shapeshifter turn or a shapeshifter don't they turn into Deep Throat at one point?
1: Oh, yeah. And, and Mulder's dad. It's yes. that's in the series where, where Smoking Man's got him locked up in the. And there's a moment
3: where you have William E. Davis. He kind of has c- c- Cigarette Smoking Man almost. You get a little bit of potential vestige of humanity, at least in the sense that maybe he feels some sort of guilt towards, you know their deaths for for having all these people killed, you know, just some, some small moment where it, there's an acknowledgement that this is, you know, even if I think the ends justify the means that this is taking a toll, you know, there's still, there's, we're still at a point in the show where they will once in a while, give him a small vestige of humanity. I'm not saying he becomes particularly sympathetic, but I think that Davis plays it very well, you know,
4: just to give you a little bit of a glimpse
5: is yes. this this is the episode where Mulder's mom has the stroke, isn't yes. it?
4: Mm-hmm. Yes after oh. talking to Smoking Man
5: yeah that's very emotional.
4: So yeah they, they reveal a little bit more about Mulder's father's involvement in all the secret stuff and yes. there's a huge confrontation between Smoking Man and Mulder in the hospital um, where it, it looks like Mulder's gonna kill him um, but obviously. He doesn't.
3: Yeah, and you're right, Victor. That this is where they kind of come down and show you that one thing we know for certain now, and that we know, but we the Mulder doesn't know. At least I believe this is correct. Like this episode reveals to us that yes, Mulder's father had a significant role, or apparently appears to have a significant role as part of that cabal. Something that he doesn't seem to know a hundred percent at this point, right? It, like he, yeah. it's not a thing that he learns in this episode right and yet we also realized that okay this this shadowy group goes at least that far back in their formation and so it's it was kind of fun to see the young cigarette smoking man and uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here i'm still a little kind of baffled by this alien weapon like it seems pretty straightforward
5: <laughs> like it's a nice pick. <laughs> it's a nice pick, right? Like, you look at this different one. It's
3: advanced thing, and like, I sure. wait for Mulder to take him by, like, you know, the late the drug and say, "Let's just buy a bunch of them." You know, go to Home Depot. We can arm ourselves <laughs> now.
4: Yeah, no. As far as I know, it's. I mean, it, it does conceal its spike, um, but that's
1: about <laughs> so the only that ice pick. Yeah, so it's a, it's a switch pick.
5: Yes, yeah, switch pick. A switch pick. Oh, is this where we also kind of? I'm trying to remember if we start to see like a kind of a thing with Mulder's mom and the Smoking Man. Yes, yeah, you do have like there might have been something else going on. Oh, right,
4: and it's also revealed that Mr. X is in the bushes taking surveillance photos. <sighs> yes, yes, oh, oh, that's creeper.
5: Right.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> but frustratingly,
4: he, he he was like, I couldn't get close enough to hear what they were saying. So, uh-huh. like,
2: oh, well, this. <laughs> <one is good." laughs> I think this episode highlights Karen what you're saying about uh, Motors' mom's past is like Chris Carter has always had a habit of like doing that retconning his own story of like what you know oh actually let's add all these other elements mm. I think as it it works for a while but then as you continue on it loses its like value he kind of he kind of overdoes it he keeps overplaying his hand well like, wait, it eventually point, begins to do.
3: Yeah, it eventually begins to sort of cheapen some of the characters.
2: Exactly, right. and I
3: think there's He's a little like, bit of that. If I'm to be honest, I I don't know that I need l- multiple levels of every member of Mulder's family being, you know, <laughs> in cahoots with cigarette smoking man. Right. It's a George Lucas thing. They don't all got to be family. They don't all got to <laughs> be related. But
2: well, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> I think after a while it's like, is he is cigarette smoking man Mulder's dad? I think he's his dad for a while, then his uncle, then his like stepdad, his brother, maybe, I think at one point. And Chris Carter, if you yeah. asked him now, he probably wouldn't know either.
3: He probably thinks cigarette smoking man's his own grandfather. I'm not
1: sure what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> <laughs> he's, time a time, yeah, he's a time he's a time paradox. He's his own grandfather, father. It actually is himself and it's his mom.
3: <laughs> Everybody. It's all and I'd like to see them all played by William B. Davis all at one time. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't look it up but is, is he still alive
3: he is yeah I, I believe he yeah.
5: was when they made the last two seasons because okay. I always thought he had maybe like a little bit of redeemable something in him but then you find stuff out about him in the last two seasons that I was I, oh, so gross and I, I, I wasn't
3: mad at him I was mad at Chris Carter and I still am but we'll talk about that later <laughs>
4: yeah yeah if the show goes on that long There's really (laughs) no way to keep it
0: great.
3: (laughs) Just remember, Victor, never make 21 seasons of anything.
4: Oh, no. I mean, it's went on so long. It's incredible. The the staying power of this idea for the show is just crazy.
1: It was like, uh, yes, amazing.
3: Hey, Chris yeah. Carter just kept snatching uh, victory out of the or uh, defeat out of the jaws of victory over and over again. He
2: finally, <laughs> yeah, he finally pissed off Jillian. He's like, "I'm done with this. I can't do it anymore." I mean, Chris, he's got
5: they could have made years. just movies. <laughs> yeah, they should have done like, TV movies yeah. one a year. Yeah.
1: yeah, like like oh. uh, yeah, that actually is not a bad idea. the the, the yeah, show I'm obviously not. lends itself to a two hour format. Just,
3: and yeah, after Curse of the Wear Monster, they just sort of handed all the money to Darren Morgan and said, You finish it. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Man,
3: I don't <laughs> it's think still I remember that. Best
2: got.
3: Oh, we that's a treat. That's I won't say more about that. You'll enjoy okay. that. That's, um, what, that's, like 20, so that's when they come back. Oh, okay. 2016,
2: I think. Yeah,
4: 2016. Yeah, that's
3: an and amazing And then he does another
2: great one. Yeah, he did another great one, the second season of the yes,
3: or, called or the, the Art of Forehead Sweat. That's amazing.
2: <laughs> One of the best episodes they've done.
3: Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that
2: episode. Yeah, just funny no, that episode. We'll probably get to that. I think that episode should have been the series finale because it, it literally, it's like the 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 final statement of the X Files, and it's like you're done.
4: Yeah, <laughs> call the the real world has now killed the X Files. It's dead. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, man, I, I really loved watching this season again. I think I had seen pretty much all of them when it was initially aired, but um, I, I just think it, it's incredible show. Uh, I can easily see now where, you know, all the behavioral science shows and, and all the... You know, uh, Black Mirror and Good versus Evil, and like so many shows wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the first three seasons of The X Files. So I really just admire the hell out of
1: it. Especially what you say—the police procedurals, all the the NCISs, the uh, showing the autopsies, caring about the science end of, of police work—that's yes. lifted right from here. They, they were yep. they they proved you could do it, and and people would still watch. It's and very, they proved the genre part of it
3: too, the sci fi and horror parts. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. And the being able to yes. tell, you know, even though it wasn't every episode, being able to tell that connective story and then, you know, shoot it all to hell right at the end. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> was oh, I, think, that.
1: I think Lost perfected that. But Well, that's insane. I lost lost said, hey, wait, hold my
3: beer. I can do this better. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you
3: did that. Watch me. Watch. You think they <laughs> were mad then? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh yeah and hey you know we have an author here so i should put out there victors any way you can write one of those x files like uh you know books and maybe make it canon and just write an ending for all this
4: <laughs> uh, yeah maybe oh, please I guess, ex- <laughs> except i would i would probably um it's, it can be distilled down to such generic components that I'd probably just not want to mess around with their IP and create my own. And uh, if it became popular, then I'd write more.
1: Well, you could write,
4: you could, uh, you could write tiny, write tiny 10 three seasons write. worth. Yeah, well, yes. write it as fan fiction
3: first and then just, you know, change it like, you know, Fifty Shades. Yeah, like you could
1: you could <laughs> but, but Let me not disparage
3: Victor's writing at all. Victor's writing is wonderful. I read.
1: Oh, <laughs> I've just I've just been discovering Victor's podcast, uh, Inside the Sound of Fear. Wow. Oh, it's awesome. Like like you are a legit author. That like that is some really really good work, man.
4: Oh, thanks Dave. I really appreciate that. There's um yeah, there's there's a a story in in uh, that's on the podcast and it's in uh, my book uh, The Sound of Fear called Farewell Concert and it's kind of X-Files like in that it's a cop procedural with some cosmic horror in it. Oh, awesome. I haven't gotten And that I read guys the last forward.
2: like
3: paragraph or two answers the entire alien invasion mythology. So <laughs> go out and get Victor's book and read it. The answer is right <laughs> there. If you cut certain pages out, paste them together, then turn it into Origami Crane, it's right right there. <laughs> for
2: starter, but like, That's, for real. That was my idea. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I link to I the that. book to where you can purchase The Sound of Fear and the Inside The Sound of Fear Victor's podcast. They're in the show notes. That's a perfect time to switch to our outros <laughs> and wrap this oh, up. Yeah. It's been so much fun. I hope everyone comes back for Season 4. I feel emboldened that we can do this. And we added a member to this group, and we came in in less time than we did last time. We did it in a single sitting, so woo
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to come back for season four. Oh, yeah.
2: Definitely. Season three is great. Well, I think the best season of the X-Files, but I think the next couple at least are almost as good. So yeah, even Season though five is near and level, dear to my heart. Oh, so you like? Okay, so season five is really good. I don't think we'll ever top season three again. Personally. No, I
3: agree with you, uh, actually, Tommy. I think season three is the best overall. I think of qual like quality and synergy. Five yeah. just was when I started watching the show, and it was oh, a very like okay. nostalgic. Like it's my pet favorite, if you will. You know,
1: well, well, if if you're getting you know good feedback and you want to keep doing this, I I'm probably okay to speak for everybody and say we'll all continue to do this. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the seasons I haven't seen so far. So that's another oh, yeah. reason I want to keep doing I this. think
3: we can make it through all all the seasons.
1: Yeah, it might even be interesting after you know we're we're talking about is this the best one? It, it might be neat to do a a wrap up show. We'll discuss all eleven.
3: Well, Victor, any other uh, places that they we've mentioned the podcast in the book? Anything else you want to uh, mention?
4: Uh, No, uh, no, thank you, sir. Uh, I appreciate that link. And um, yeah, the podcast is called Inside the Sound of Fear and it's available on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual suspicious places you find podcasts. And um, yeah, it's uh, I I do a reading of each of the stories in my first collection. And uh, my producer, Josh, walks me through uh, inspirational sources interview after each episode so that's what it's all about
1: that's that's really um, yeah, the fun part like the stories are are really good very imaginative but then getting to dive into the author's brain learn about the the inspirations and and hear a little interview it's a really really good listen and and i haven't nice. I haven't come across any episodes that are like over an hour you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's it's a really easy listen there's yeah, no three please, and a half thanks,
3: hour well. stuff in there anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you have to come to our podcast if you want to or land of the creeps if you want to hear Victor talk <laughs> for three plus hours. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and you he also does a great reading of The Outsider, which I think you have on a a, a YouTube link, right? That I can put in the show yes, notes. Um HP Lovecraft's The yeah,
1: Outsider. If, oh, I was gonna say yeah. there's, a, there's another there's a French book called The Outsider, isn't there?
4: Oh, perhaps.
0: Um, Yeah, but, um,
4: yeah, this is the HP Lovecraft story from the 1920s. And, uh, yeah, I do a dramatic reading of it and yeah, that, that was uh, an awesome gig is, is, uh, really fun to do. Um, you know, a big Lovecraft fan and, and, uh, I loved reading it. And, um, uh, once again, my, my friend and producer Josh is in there doing the sound design, uh, and, um, It uh, it was a super fun project, and thanks to you guys and everybody else that listened, it was successful enough that we green-lighted another one, so we're doing another classic uh, horror uh, dramatic reading, and uh, I I can't reveal what it is yet, but I will be able to soon, so I'm looking forward to to that. Very cool. Oh, yay. And again, just to
3: you know, in this point, I'm gonna promote myself and say that uh, the well, not myself, but everyone who's involved that the Phantom Galaxy has two episodes that we have many episodes where Victor shows up, but we have two episodes where Victor does dramatic readings. Uh the Tales from the Phantom Galaxy, and he you wrote you read uh two stories. One of them was another HP Lovecraft. It was uh From Beyond, the short story that Oh, inspired. From Beyond, yeah. Yeah. That's, and a, that's you, a good one. Read a Robert E. Howard story, "Rattle the Bones," uh, for our Christmas Ghosts episode. So,
4: yeah, uh, that I, was really fun. I too. Have those
3: links as well. Dave, Dave also contributed some stories. Uh, we got to do some fun sea monster effects. I think
1: for the yeah. William Hope they they, Once <laughs> or, you edited them, they were great. But I didn't write those. Obviously, those are
3: no, no, no. Yeah. We, we the dramatic readings of classic horror stories by. Yeah. But Dave, how about you? Uh, any? Uh, let everybody know where they can find you and.
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Dave Roy, no problem finding me there. And I uh, as Nathan said at the beginning, I have my own podcast, The Great Fright North, and that's on Podbean, Spotify, and Listen Notes, uh, probably a couple of other spots. And I review horror movies, mm, generally Canadian, but not always. And yeah, I'm a bit of a procrastinator with release dates, but there are episodes and more episodes coming. As a matter of fact, I have two that should have been edited by now, but again, I got that procrastination problem. They're coming, though. I promise.
3: Okay, cool. cool. And uh, Tommy, do you want to let everyone know where they can
2: find you? Yeah, definitely. So, of course, um, over here at Real Talk, you can follow us through Twitter at Real underscore Cast. Of course, we have a Facebook group. You can just find us. We're Real Talk a Movie Podcast. Like I said earlier, we, you know, we do a lot of different things. Uh, we do a lot of interviews, but we also do a lot of fun, just unique episodes, whether it's uh, covering, you know, a movie draft or covering a specific movie. We kind of try to do a uh, different thing each time.
3: And the movie draft's a lot of fun. Yeah, the 90s movie draft
2: uh, episode. You go back and check that one out. It's a really cool. Oh, yeah. Movie. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Even though I got destroyed, I got to pick better uh, draft <laughs> picks next time. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> And Karen, how about you? Places that anyone can find
0: you?
5: Uh, you can find me on on Facebook, uh, Karen Wagner in Virginia. Um, and I'm on Twitter. I don't go on there all that often, but it's uh, kwag229. And I just want to say thank you so much for letting me. Uh, you were very generous to let me come on. This is my favorite TV show. And I just want to say thanks for letting me uh, come on and invade y'all uh
3: talking about the x-files no the pl- pleasure was ours and uh you i think you really uh added to it to to the episode and to the group so i'm definitely looking forward to everyone kind of coming back and doing um season four and then on the season five and then on to the movie yeah and then eventually oh, yeah. on to the other movie the other movie. i was trying to remember when the movie <laughs> came out was it nine five and six
5: between it was yes, between season so.
3: five and season yeah. six yeah yeah. Okay. So it's not it's it's not this one, but the the next one. So you have season four leading into it, and no, no, it's two. It's two season four, then the season five. Season five leads into the movie, and season five gets a late start too, because my memory is season five doesn't start until like November, like when it actually started airing. Mm-hmm. So. It doesn't start. That might like, have been a writer's strike year. Yeah. Something was going on. and uh, Or I can't remember if maybe they had less episodes or maybe it was a result of having to film the movie at the same time.
2: You know? I think it was that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But, um, oh, but either way, I'm looking forward to it. This is, uh, of course, Phantom Galaxy. You can find us at phantomgalaxypodbean.com and pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, would say that if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes of phantom galaxy please uh share them on facebook on twitter uh to apple podcast leave us a review five star review uh preferably and just uh get the word out and that uh, that does help us uh continue doing series like this i've joked that phantom galaxy is kind of a russian nesting doll of podcasts we have all kinds of different <laughs> different things going on so we have lots of stuff uh, we have the regular episodes I do with uh, my co-host, Bill Van Bagel, and Bill's got one. He did uh, Strange Frequencies, where he covers uh, music and albums and things like that with a genre twist. I do The Illustrated Fan with Dave Becker, where we talk about animated film. That's where you can find us, and this is the Phantom Galaxy signing out. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Ares Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at aresbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy.